Well, hello and welcome to episode number 309 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and on today's massively packed show we learn that everyone's favourite low-cost airline is still committed to Chinese-built aircraft. The bleak story of the 737 MAX continues and could there be more sad news on the horizon as troubled budget carrier struggles to make ends meet? Matt talks to Jenny about what it's like living in Rome as COVID-19 restricts the movements and APG's resident doctor prescribes some good old-fashioned common sense. And finally, in the military news this week, the Scottish coast is buzzed by six fighter jets as an uninvited guest makes a visit and our B-2 stealth bombers making a return to RAF Fairford. Well, joining me this week, as always, in the PTUK studios, pushing all the right buttons and moving all the correct sliders, it is, of course, the legend that is... Matt Smith. I mean, of course, there, there is the obvious joke there, isn't it? It's like I'm pushing all the right buttons, but not necessarily in the right order. Uh, well, you're pushing my buttons. Right, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a real treat for how, everyone. How, yeah. how is the world of Matt? Yeah, it's all right. Thank you. Yeah, lots yeah. of buttons to press. Um, yeah. I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what, Matt, I'm loving the T-shirt because that brings right. back some cool, very, very, very good memories of our yeah. trip to Pittsburgh. Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, you know, obviously, as we have a bit of uh, APG alumni here, I, yeah. felt, I felt the need to... Three years ago, that was, Matt. Oh, three thanks. years ago. Right. Okay, yeah, right. I feel old enough already. Thanks for that. <laughs> but uh, How did that happen? <laughs> I know. So, uh, for those of you who are watching the YouTube stream, may have noticed a certain... Um, Guest, we have joining us here in the PTUK studio this week. On, we'd have never seen you. It is, of course, he's well. He doesn't really need any introduction no. at all because everyone knows this. He's person. infamous. That's what he is. Famous. It's everyone's favourite favourite Santa Claus. It is, of course, Captain Nick. Now I hope you lot have got rid of this virus. No, 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 no. no. You're in a part of the world where there are officially no cases at the are moment. You I should sure? stress absolutely. It's a, it's a hundred percent friendly. Anyway, Nick, what, <laughs> Nick, what has, what has brought you to this far-flung neck of UK? A major navigational error. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. Yes, <laughs> I, uh, I foolishly um, volunteered to uh, give one of my lectures to the Royal Aeronautical Society uh, up this end. In fact, uh, I discovered that it was an offshoot of um, all the Orville Wright's uh, Appreciation Society. It was, you know, like two centuries old. Um, no, seriously, I was up at RAF Marham doing a talk to the uh, Royal Aeronautical Society. They're a lovely bunch of people. Um, and uh, my second time there, so uh, they invited me back, which was really oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, get uh, you. So uh, <laughs> when I uh, looked at the map, uh, uh, I actually had to go and find one from the 16th century to see this part of the country. <laughs> um, I uh, discovered That's that... Slightly offended. <laughs> I discovered there was an ancient uh, settlement, a, uh, a Bronze Age or perhaps even Stone Age actually, settlement. Actually, while you're talking about that, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to try something new here. Look, I'm, I'm going to press this button here. We had a, a comment from uh, Adam Spink in the chat room. Look there, it says, uh, "How much coal did you burn to get to Norfolk, Nick?" Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't burning <laughs> coal. I was using Al's gas. Oh, right. Special <laughs> new, <laughs> gr very green. <laughs> Uh, method of driving your car it works wonderfully it only, <laughs> only goes and fits and starts though 
or Stitz and uh, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> no, it, uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Family show. I uh, I burnt considerably uh, less, I'm sure, than it costs to uh, create the electricity that fills um, that uh, young air traffic controller's motor car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or oh, oh, brace yourselves, everyone. Considering <laughs> he seems to waste most of it going from naught to 60 in three seconds and back to naught again. Yeah, but if you can, why wouldn't you? Well, that's a good point, yes. <laughs> I mind you, actually, in London, I'm mean, certainly not doing that in London. Oh, well, because it's green, it's, you know... I'll tell, anyway. you, I'll tell you what, Matt, my yeah. driveway at home is looking rather nice at the moment. Is it? Yeah, it's got this gorgeous, beautiful red new car park. Mm, it's blocked it? in now. I right, can't, <laughs> and it's blocked in. <laughs> He's keeping it now. That's how, that's how he plans to... Yeah, to, the TriStar van's in front of it. Right. Okay. So we have also got another incredibly important guest, a VIP guest on the show this week. And uh, we are so happy to welcome back onto the show because uh, we haven't had him on for a while. So welcome back, the king of wit... The king of comedy. I beg your pardon. I said wit. <laughs> oh, just checking. It is, of course, <laughs> Captain Al. Uh, thank you very much. I'm sorry about big lights above my head. That's not really my halo. It's just uh, <laughs> I've had to throw this t together at the last minute. I wasn't uh, in a position where I thought I could make the show, but I I've managed to shuffle a thing, few things around. Now, we were talking about those electric car drivers and their 0 to 60 oh, time. There we go. <laughs> What's more impressive about an electric car is when it runs out of juice on the motorway, is it's 70 to noughts time. It's almost zero. <laughs> right. Yes. They, they don't just sort of uh, gradually wind down. They come yeah. to a screeching halt wherever they, they run out of juice. It's like, it's look, like being on the dodgems when the look, power goes off. You know? oh, gen gentlemen, please, I need to have a word with you, please. It's the first time that we've had Adam in the chat room live for a very long time. Will you all stop offending him, please? <laughs> just play nice, the lot of you. Ah, no, he knows I love his <laughs> Uh, if only that big damn screen wouldn't keep banging my elbow, uh, my, my <laughs> knee, I'm sorry, when I was in the passenger seat. Uh, it's a, no, lovely car, lovely car. Beautiful car. Beautiful yeah. car. Anyway, welcome, Al. It's great. So welcome, Al. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank and you very much, yes. <laughs> so it is, uh, ooh, what is it? It's the 13th of Friday, the 13th Unlucky today. Oh, some. blimey. Yeah. Time Wouldn't just it just be? Yeah, quite. Time just coming up to seven minutes past seven on this evening. Welcome to everyone who has joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Loads of people in there tonight, Matt. Mm, yeah, right. Adam, even Adam. Yeah, Mass even gathering. Adam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. All the... Uh, Usual family members in there. Chris Griggs, hello, Masha. Hello, Tanya is also Tanya W in there. Hello to Stephen Howland. Hello to you, Richard Adams. Chris Griggs, we've got uh, Evan Shue. Hello to you, Evan. My God, it must be like minus 400 in the morning there or something. Minus uh, 400 James in the morning. James Russell, hello to you, James. <laughs> Dr. Steph is also in the chat room, obviously, yeah. because... Uh, actually, she's, uh, got a slight, she's got a slight bone, bone to pick with us, actually. Uh, oh, here we go. I'll no. pop, pop that up on the screen, though. Can you all just stay only four hours ahead of us? Works out much better for my work schedule in terms of being able to join the live show. Idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a I good point. Isn't it? I, I got a little us. bit concerned there, Matt, where, where you started putting Steph and bone in the same Okay, moving on. So I was wondering where you were going. <laughs> <And> <laughs> moving on. Um, Aspire Pilot, hello to you as well. Wow, where are we? Well, what, what is the time exactly? It's oh, seven oh. Eight, and I'm already and having a nervous breakdown. Keeping an eye on things in the chat room this evening uh, with a blue spanner of oh, death. No. It's our main man, Micah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I thought you were going to talk. I was going to say Nev was there. Was no, no, no. Absolutely. No, no. no yeah. as you may have noticed, Nev cannot join us this week. He nope. is uh, he's at home. Uh, busy sorting a few things out at home, isn't he? He's sort of caring. busy time, yeah, busy time for him. Yeah. So Nev's sorting a yeah. few things out at home, and uh, obviously with the effects of this 
damned virus thing going around. Obviously, flights are being cancelled left, right and centre. But uh, um, it's safe to say that we've, we've got a, a full packed show to come this week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't got any Armando either, unfortunately. However, we, uh, we do have him by video, as we have done on several occasions. Uh, and he has treated us to a little intro. So, let, so uh, we'll, we'll let him give his apologies himself, shall we? Hey guys, uh, I just wanted to check in. I'm not able to be on the show today. Just kind of give you an update on this interesting time of uncertainty in airports and travel and airlines. I know we're gonna do a couple stories, but sort of on the ground reporting here at my home airport in Pittsburgh, there are largely no passengers. It's kind of empty, which is great because there's no line at the coffee shop. There's no line in the restaurants. But uh, yeah, it makes commuting easy. I don't live here in Pittsburgh, I live in Charlotte. So it's been nice and easy to get on some flights. Uh, I've seen a pretty significant reduction, probably good uh, 25, 30% reduction in passengers on most of the flights that I've been on. But again, sorry I can't be on the show, I'm flying today and uh, I'll see you guys next week for sure. Oh, goody. We have missed we miss you, mate. You. We, we really have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that video. Do you see the way the airplane flew in one ear and came out <laughs> <on> the other? <laughs> That's great. I don't know how you do Gemma's that. Gemma's always saying that about me. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. well, it's less than about that, the petter. Uh, okay. <laughs> moving swiftly on. Um, so we, we've got lots to do, and we also have got a very special event happening after the show tonight that we've got to uh, oh, attend. We? Yeah. You know, the eating of food. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Sorry, yes. I know. So <laughs> I'm very jealous, gents, very jealous. Oh. Well, I mean, have you got time to get here before? <laughs> yeah, if you left now, yeah. Al. Yeah, he'll still um, be, he'll be oh, three no, hours late. Oh, no, it's not ABG, yeah. is it? No. Three yeah, hours. Get there just yeah. I see what you did there. Anyway, yeah. right, anyway we, we need to do some stories. We Come are going to start yes. the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if... We're all ready. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story on the IrishTimes.com. And the headline... Oh, my word. Man caused pandemonium on Aer Lingus flight with hoax coronavirus claim. God, as if this couldn't get any worse. <laughs> so a Dutch trainee driving instructor who caused as pandemonium yeah. on an Aer Lingus flight to Dublin when he made a hoax coronavirus claim. Co what now? Coronavirus. <laughs> beer, beer virus. <laughs> okay. He's been given a two-month prison sentence for Good. a boat captain and ski instructor John Job van der Broek, uh, who was 30. I don't know why that means anything at all relevance, but uh, with addresses in well, he's got, anyway, blah 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 pleaded guilty uh, on Thursday to an air rage charge after he had delayed Wednesday's flight EI605 from Amsterdam because he would not end a phone call he was flying to Ireland to get a connecting flight to Los Angeles to propose to his girlfriend and uh, sentencing, sentencing uh, he said, uh, Van der Broek thought there were special rules for him and told uh, he told a fiction to the flight attendant that his mother had the coronavirus. He accused, uh, buried, or the accused buried his head in his hands as the sentence was, was handed down. However, the business graduate was granted appeal bail, which he took up soon after the hearing. 
Van der Broek refused to get off his phone after a cabin crew pleaded with him to finish his call so they could give the standard flight safety demonstration. He later uh, lied to cabin crew, telling them that his reason for using his phone was because his mother had the virus and that he'd been in contact with her. He would not deny it if, he had, if, uh, if it had two or the court was told. The cabin crew were reduced to tears and pandemonium broke out among passengers. Judge Colonel Gibbons said his crime was unbelievable while the world was in a state of fear and anxiety because of COVID-19. He described the case as the most exceptional of exceptional circumstances. The aircraft touched down at Dublin's airport terminal 2 at 1.49pm on Wednesday and it arrived 21 minutes ahead of schedule and was put into quarantine for HSE inspection to be carried out as a result of the scare. I mean, this is a horrendous story, isn't it? Really, I mean, <laughs> with the current, you know, the way things yeah, are absolutely. in this, the way things are at the moment, the people the moment. are so stressed yeah. about this whole thing. I mean, what a, what a, I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, you might as well have said bomb, frankly. I mean, exactly. it's, it's less yeah. uh, of an issue now. Oh, I don't know. This is just what a stupid thing for someone to do. Yeah, well, he's uh, faced the consequences now because obviously he's. Is uh, it long enough? That's the question. I would have thought a nice big fat fine would have been better. Right. You know, a few okay. pounds to... Well, I don't to, know, a bit of jail time is... Mm. It never looks good on the record, does it? It doesn't look great on the CV. <laughs> Any thoughts? It doesn't uh, look good on mine, that's for sure. What, no. <laughs> well, not quite. Uh, well, should, we, should we try Al on this one? Brace yourselves, everyone. Uh, <laughs> well, Al would have just booted him off. Well, that's true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've gone through various phases with this virus where... Uh, you know, initially people were sceptical of the severity of it and we were all sort of kind of being optimistic and, and making light of it. But the, the geography has, has changed quite considerably in recent times and it has now become an exceptionally serious event and that's what we have to deal with. So, um, you know, the, the point has been crossed where it, it's, it's no longer humorous, I think. Uh, we can all still be reasonably optimistic, and a lot of us, myself included, are, you know, glass half full rather than half empty. Uh, but, you know, every year there are idiots who make jokes about bombs on aeroplanes, so yeah. I, I really, I'm not particularly surprised that this has happened, just rather disappointed. Yeah, it's uh, well. It's, when people are so concerned as well, I think it's just such a it's just a, such a stupid thing to do, isn't it? But uh, uh, interestingly enough, I did just some of the, the key points that the, the judge was saying. The ju judge actually said there would be one worse thing uh, to say on a plane, and that there was a bomb under the seat. He also mm. remarked that he remarked that his actions were designed to put fear and anxiety into the minds of people on the plane. And uh, yeah, I think I think he certainly did that. Yeah, not yeah. the best thing to do in this um, particular climate no, at all. Absolutely. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll move on to the next story then. Now, I like this one, Matt. Right. Okay. <laughs> because I, it, this just uh, says to me that they, he just cannot make up his mind what no. lead an aircraft to buy this this no. man. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, but, well, I don't know. Perhaps he's just perhaps he's boxing clever and keeping his options open. Oh, Who yeah. knows? Anyway, simpleflying.com uh, is the website, and the headline is Ryanair still committed to Chinese-built aircraft uh, amid uh, Airbus Boeing. Uh, du duopoly? duopoly okay yeah, cool sure. yeah. uh, in 2011 Ryanair placed a memorandum of understanding for a 200 seat Comac C919 
variant in an interview with Simple Flying on Tuesday. The airline CEO Michael O'Leary said that the low-cost carrier is still committed to the COMAC program. Currently, the aircraft options are limited when you're talking about uh, an A320 or a 737-sized aircraft. Realistically, the only two options are Airbus or Boeing. However, China is working to introduce the COMAC C919 as a third option. Unfortunately, like Berlin's new airport, the entry to service has been delayed somewhat. However, with five test aircraft now in the skies progress is starting to be made in 2011 when Ryanair signed a memorandum of understanding with Comac regarding a 200 seater C919 however uh, since then uh, very little has been said on the topic Simple Flying got the opportunity to interview the Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary last week at the Airlines for Europe conference in Brussels uh, and we discussed uh, the Comac uh, on the topic uh, O'Leary told us um we're still committed to the COMAC program. He also identified the need for a challenger to Airbus and Boeing to replace the McDonnell Douglas. Uh, he said uh, all airlines and customers need to see the emergence of a third manufacturer to replace McDonnell Douglas and the Chinese would be a very welcome addition. Uh, so the current issues with the C919, however, uh, in his conversation uh, with Simple Flying, he did say uh, that he also identified a couple of issues with the, the, the program in its current form. Firstly, identified the delay entry of the aircraft at the market. After all, it was originally due to take its maiden flight back in 2014. However, this has uh, this didn't uh, take place until three years later, with certification still ongoing. Uh, on this, O'Leary told us the C919 had been delayed by a number of years. Uh, I mean, we signed up to a, a memorandum to work with them to design a stretch version of the 919, which will be a 199-200-seater aircraft. At the moment, there is no sign of it. They have uh, significant challenges getting the C919 certified and into service. An additional hurdle that Ryanair uh, also has, however, is getting the cost of the aircraft down while... Uh, aircraft have set lit pr list prices airlines often get a healthy amount uh, sliced off the final cost this is true for Ryanair with Boeing's 737 family however a challenge arises with the Comac C919 with O'Leary commenting that there's not much opportunity to lower the cost of the aircraft there there's no particular new technology it's a glorified A320 where 85% of the costs are made up of components the avionics and all of the rest of it adding that the labour doesn't form a huge portion of the cost of the aircraft. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go through the upside very briefly. He says, however, it's not all doom and gloom with the C919 as far as O'Leary is concerned. In fact, he mentioned that an increased supply of aircraft is the benefit, uh, he told Simple Flying. I think just the very fact that there will be more f supply is good. When you look at the state of the industry in the last 12 months, the delay of the MAX, the grounding of the MAX aircraft, the delay in the return to service has put enormous pressure on capacity across the industry. And that has also meant there is there has been less growth justifying uh, growth sorry uh, justifying the last point he added that Ryanair would actually have no growth in the next 12 months because of the twin impact of max delays and the covid-19 virus yeah i don't know I mean, how do we feel, feel about that do, do we really need a third player as he's as he's claiming it wouldn't hurt I don't see why. Uh, if you're presenting more uh, competition, then you're uh, allowing the industry to uh, work harder to bring the prices down, which yeah. helps the airlines uh, enormously. Uh, and I've no problem at all. In fact, at the moment, there's only 
one airline that's really providing a, uh, uh, a short-haul, um, reasonable-sized uh, passenger carrier, and that's uh, Airbus. Of course, when the 737 MAX eventually gets on the streets, things will change. But uh, this is an ideal time for a third uh, company to come in. But it's going to be very tough for them because Airbus and Boeing are going to fight tooth and nail for their portions of the market. And uh, they're going to find it very hard to uh, compete against them. I mean, I, I do wonder perhaps if, if said uh, aircraft was available to buy now, given all the trouble that, that's going on with the MAX at the moment, whether the, their fortunes could have been somewhat sort of transformed, I guess, if they could, uh, you know, if it was ready to buy now and get in the air, if it had all been certified, perhaps it could we'd be a very different story. Yeah, possibly, but uh, Airbus seemed to have been the one to benefit from that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and which has just made them all the all the stronger. Mm, yeah. What do you think? I Al? think one factor that will come into play with this, uh, we've seen the the Sukhoi Superjet um, have a, a little bit of a, a checkered life within Western Europe. It, it's a nice aeroplane and reasonably well liked by the operators, but they have struggled phenomenally with the supply of spare parts and a coherent maintenance manual. Right. And I think the same difficulties may well face operators who choose to go down this route. Uh, it's all to do with the support and the the aeroplane, okay, it's, it's well behind its scheduled uh, date of introduction to service. We know that, we've discussed that, um, which kind of leaves me to believe that as and when it comes into service in, in markets outside of China, that maybe the support infrastructure won't be there. This is the problem that Sukai had. And maybe operators are going to be a little bit cautious of going down the same route again, bearing in mind the experience that they had with the Sukai. So if you buy into the Boeing or Airbus project, the infrastructure, the engineers dotted around the network, etc., are already in place. So um, it's, it's a difficult one. I absolutely entirely agree with Nick that it's always good to have competition. A monopoly in any field of commerce is bad. Uh, it's just that whether the aeroplane represents a credible alternative, I'm not so sure. And I think the 320 family aircraft has a very long future ahead of it. And, okay, you could argue that it's a bit of a sort of premium priced product when you look at, say, Embraer or other manufacturers, but you know what you're getting. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't it? They're, 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 they're trusted brands, they're trusted mm. aircraft. I mean, it, it's, it, it's products that people are very familiar with, aren't, aren't they? Well, ultimately, it's a case of you can take your Airbus pretty much anywhere in the world and you will find an engineer who's licensed to fix it. Mm. If you take your Comag or Sukai Superjet somewhere, you're going to struggle to find someone to fix it. And that, yeah, that can true. play heavily on the finances of an airline. Yeah. It's all about that infrastructural support. I can imagine, yeah. So uh, moving on uh, to... Before we oh. move on, actually, I believe that uh, there is someone else who has uh, uh, joined us down the line. Yeah, guys, uh, I think I'm trying to max out your quota for pilots on the show today. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 
<laughs> Looking <laughs> significantly more smarter than I am. <laughs> now, there's Welsh for you. Yeah, more I, smarter. I don't have that yeah, halo over my head, though. Are you reading that newspaper you're sat on? <laughs> <laughs> Quite, yes. It's, uh, I don't think you can have too many pilots, I'll be honest. I think I think uh, the, the world is all the better for many, many pilots. <laughs> you're looking very smart there, Amanda. You do look the business. Thanks, Nick. I'm uh, basically you 30 years ago. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't sitting in the captain's chair. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> well, there is that. Oh, dear. So uh, so where, where are you off to? Anywhere exotic? Well, as you guys were talking about, I am actually here in Pittsburgh. So ah. you were here three, three years ago, and yeah. here I am sitting at the airport right now on a bit of a delay. So. Oh, this is very well, cool. Well, it's a, a delay, surely not. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, delays. They never happen in the industry. No, no quite. <laughs> Have you broken it already? <laughs> no, that, you know, this airplane is fantastic. It's uh, the fact that my captain, who was coming in from Dallas-Fort Worth, was delayed by about two hours for weather. So here I am sitting in the airplane running up and down the aisles. Well, would we're not going to talk about what I've been doing in the airplane. But. Okay, okay, all right. Again, family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Uh. But it's nice to hear you've been uh, showing your face to the customers and uh, explaining to them exactly what's going on. I know a lot of pilots who just hide on the flight deck. You know, I, the beauty of working for a small airline is uh, we have a lot more interaction with the with the customers. We don't have flight attendants on my aircraft, so... Um, so you've carried I, their bags to the aeroplane for them. That's very noble. <laughs> we do, we do have gate agents that do that for us. But oh, but, okay, all right. You've uh, got to have a minion at the end of the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it, it is nice to. Uh, I, I think it makes a little bit of a difference when one of the pilots comes up um, and and explains to you the situation why we're delayed and or sometimes it's a weather delay and you're explaining to them from a pilot's point of view hey you know we could go but the regulations state this and and it's really for for our safety your safety um i, I think it, it means a little bit more when one of the pilots comes up so um, i still get to do that which is nice is that something that you're naturally used to through personality something that the airline has given you training for or is it something that you're finding your feet with uh a little bit of all of it i I like people. You know, the, the reason I, I fly wow. is... <laughs> that's that's, a, that's an I, amazing thing. I, did you, do, you, do you remember liking people at any point, Nick, to be fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the fact that they spent a lot of money to keep me oh. uh, in a job. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I love that. Yeah, maybe after 20 years in the airlines, I'll, I'll become slightly misanthropic like uh, Al and, and Nick, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I'm forever telling the, the new generation of first officers that all of those faces, whether they be washed or unwashed, wealthy or poor, they all put the money into our bank accounts. So they all need to be treated like royalty yeah. and given our respect every day. Well, I, I, I completely agree. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, much like uh, my like Pip's outfit, you know, they they give us a little bit of flexibility, and I get to to interact with the passengers. We can still bring passengers and kids up to the flight deck in the middle of the flight and have a chat with them. So it's uh, it's really nice. Well, uh, it was great to have you uh, on. Uh, are you able to hang around for a few minutes, or are you uh, have you got to jump off? Oh, I hope no, not. I'll be around for a few minutes as long as the uh, the the cell phone.
service hangs in there, I'll, I'll probably turn off the video, but uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be here for a few Okay, thank All right, well, well, we'll move on then. Nice to, nice to speak to you, though, really, really is. And uh, Moving on yeah. to the next story, and uh, this next story, we need to get the handkerchiefs and tissues ready because this may be a, a story that may be upsetting for oh dear. Uh, Captain Nick. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, not really, because I've retired. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's retiring about the same time you did then. <laughs> exactly. So this story is all about the airplane that I used to fly has done what I've done. So I've retired from Virgin Atlantic, and so has the A3. It's still very weird you saying that out loud. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. Oh, well, do your best. Um, <laughs> they say it's earlier than planned, but in fact, I don't think it's much earlier at all. Uh, when I uh, was around, the plan was for it to uh, leave at the end of last year, and it was more or less going to coincide with uh, when I would be forced to retire. So it, it hung on a little bit longer because uh, you know increased uh, requirement for it to be there, so they extended a little bit. And they even bought one out of mothballs and put it back into service. And that was a lot of that was mainly due to the problems that uh, Virgin had with their Dreamliners, uh, particularly the engines of the Dreamliners. Um, but now at last, uh, with the um, reduction in capacity that has been forced upon the airline because of the, uh, the current state of affairs with that, the, that thing that yeah. thing that we're not going to talk about um they've decided that now's the time to get rid of uh, the a340 and that's mainly because uh, of course it's a bit of a gas guzzler and if you're going to retire an airplane and uh, there are only three left uh, this is the fleet closed down uh, so uh, this retired its last remaining 340 on monday uh, the last three uh, previously planned for the end of may um the originally the aircraft type was going to be retired in 2019, but they extended the schedule several times. Final commercial flight was classic, <laughs> and I'm so glad I wasn't on it. That's your favourite trip, this it one, was it, Nick? The, yes, <laughs> it was the VS412 from Lagos, Nigeria to London Heathrow, and it was operated by GV Fit, uh, which sweet uh, A340 worked very nicely. Uh, and um, yeah, I flew that many times. In fact, I flew them all many times, so uh, I knew them all by heart. Um, we, uh, the airline, first received the A340-300 when I joined the airline in '93. So I was literally recruited onto the Airbus, and uh, of course, I retired more or less with it as well. So the it, it, the Airbus is uh, the 340s career with Virgin more or less matched mine. Um, the older aircraft in Virgin's fleet are being replaced through fleet modernization uh, with an order for 14 of the A330 900neo which is going to be a fantastic aeroplane uh, obviously a twin oh they've got four in service at the moment and the former will be replaced by a Virgin's 14 A330 CEO aircraft uh, that's four um, 200s 10 300s uh, the remaining seven Boeing 747-400s will be phased out in uh, 2021 as more of the fantastic A350-1000 deliveries get fulfilled. So uh, it looks like the uh, Airbuses are going to knock the 400s out of the airline. Uh, Virgin also, of course, operates some other Boeings, specifically the rather troubled 787-9 uh, Dreamliner. And uh, the... 
A34600 in their silver signature and red livery were famous and welcomed sights at London Heathrow Airport. It says, I love this author, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the hub dominantly served by British Airways and its long haul feet are uh, mostly 747 777787s. Virgin was amongst the very few A340 operators at Heathrow, and it was indeed a much-loved airplane, although the air traffickers didn't like the Dash 300 very much, very slow rate of climb. Mm. The Dash 600 was a superb uh, aircraft and uh, was uh, a delight to fly. Wasn't it you who said the, the 300? The Dash 300 had uh, four CFM 56s, oh. didn't it? Uh, it had, yes, and the uh, C2 variant was the low-powered one, and we got rid of those pretty quickly and got the C4s, uh, which were much better, uh, and we could hit all the height constraints uh, anyone wanted. But people forget about that. They always go back to those original C2 engine ones, which were a little bit short of uh, guts. So I mean, you were saying that um, there's, uh, since the A340, there were several variants, the Dash, you know, 300. 300 and so on and so forth. If if you were if you were type rated, forgive my naivety here. Mm. If you're type rated on the 340, does that mean you can fly the variants as well, or do you have to do a type rating for each variant? No, you could fly each variant and the twin engine 330 and the twin engine 350. That you could have them all on the same type rating right. uh, on your license at the same time. In fact. Uh, uh, when I started flying the 330, I think I, I just, the company didn't have to give me a course, but I think I did a, a two-day course. Uh, and in, in theory, you could climb from the 340 straight into the 350, although the cockpit's remarkably different. Mm. And uh, you would be legal to fly it, although I think it would be sensible to do a course. Do a refresher, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, just a look-see, look because yeah. uh, it works a slightly different way with yeah. all the... Uh, inputs. Put that into context for you, Matt. Um, currently, I'm A319, 318, 320, 321, 330, and 350. Okay. So, uh, the 320 family, yeah, because it's the same type rating as the 330. Wow. wow. Okay. So, you can go from so flying something the size of a shoe to something <laughs> the size of an ocean liner. That's very good. <laughs> It, it, indeed, and um, obviously at Monarch we used to do that because I used to fly the 320, the 321 and the 330. And whilst you would view the 330 as the, the smaller version of the, 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 the 340, obviously, uh, for me it was, it was the bigger brother, if you like. And going from the 320 to the 330 in a matter of days did you know require a little bit of concentration. And similarly, going back to the the three the three twenty from the three thirty, but as far as the regulators concerned, the three twenty family is everything from the the three eighteen up to the three twenty one, and the three thirty and the three fifty are a common type rating. So, as an Airbus guy, you can be three twenty family with a cross crew qualification onto the three thirty stroke three fifty, no problem. The only thing they wouldn't allow is for you to be a combination of 320, 330, and 340. Oh, right. Okay. Any, any idea why? I, I think it's just one step too far. Right. You lose um, count of the engines. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, now, that's entirely, that's entirely up to the carrier, right, guys? Because I was, I was just talking to uh, the captain that I was flying with yesterday who was uh, an American A330 pilot, and he said, um, 
you know, I asked him, actually, I brought Nick up and I said, hey, are, are you cross qualified on the 330 and the 340? And he said, uh, we didn't do that. Uh, Lufthansa tried what Al was talking about, going from 320 all the way up to 340. And they and then they backed down from it and said, well, that that is a, a step too far. But it, but it is entirely up to the carrier how they use you, right? It's up to the carrier how they use you. It's also the, the regulator. For us, the regulator, I mean, we weren't operating the 340, but the, the regulator uh, looked at the fact that we had CFM 56s on the 320, IE engines on the 321, and Rolls-Royce engines on the 330. So they said, look, you've got numerous, numerous different aircraft here with numerous engines. There has to be a limit to the permutations that you want. Um, so I, uh, when the 350 came into the equation, uh, I think the regulator said, okay, we don't mind you being 330 stroke 350 and 320 family, but we're not very keen to have 320 family, 330 family and the 340 family. Right. So, and again, this is this is a naive question, I'm sure, on my part. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, there's different types of engines. You've got the Rolls-Royce engine, which is one you mentioned. Does it make a, a huge difference what power in, you know, what powerhouse essentially is attached? Yes. No. I was going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I'll, I mean, I'll but, say maybe. But, but I mean, presumably, <laughs> presumably, they have the potential to handle very differently. If you see what I mean, because it's got, let you know, I, I don't know. Do, I mean, do they all have the the, the same amount? Oh, I'm going to use. I'm going to look sound like such a moron. Do they all have the same amount of thrust or whatever it is that you're? No, no, they don't. <laughs> no, because obviously, in a different weight of aircraft, you're going to need different, more powerful engines. Yeah. I think so long as the uh, engines are usually instrumentated the same way or a similar way, that's fine. Sort of tuned to the same sort of... Yeah, yeah. because quite honestly, uh, the aircraft looks after all the limits on the engines, the okay. temperature limits and the speed limits. And uh, the only... Uh, I, in fact, I can't think of a, a particularly difficult reason around... It's not like you need to know your engine intimately to be able to run it. Right. Um, Al, so why would you say yes? Um, probably because of uh, my sort of heritage. So uh, the CFMs, the instrumentation is N1. The IE, the instrumentation is EPA. Um, yeah, but and, uh, EPA the will Royce degrade position. to N1 with a failure. So you need to know how to use uh, N1 on both types. Absolutely. I think where really I, I came to my conclusion of, yes, it does make a difference, is... Um, with regards to the handling of the aircraft with regards to thrust. So, for example, if you fly a CFM A320 and an IAE320, so you've got the same airframe, just different engines, the fan size of the CFM is much bigger than the fan size of the IAE. So when it comes to landing the aeroplane and flaring, if you were to just slam, the, slam shut the thrust levers on the IE engine, it really wouldn't make much difference because it's a relatively small fan. If you were to do it on the CFM 56, uh, because the fan's much bigger, the aeroplane will fundamentally just fall out of the sky. So the handling of how you operate it for the landing phase is different. And also, um, 
with regards to the thrust available in the cruise. So I know you said that when you flew the uh, the early engine equipped 340-3, it really was puffing just trying to get airborne. So, you know, trying to achieve those uh, climb gradients on uh, departures and so forth was quite a struggle. Whereas when you got the, the later uh, engined aircraft, it was much easier. So fundamentally, day to day, does it make a lot of difference? No, not really. But in the subtle aspects of handling the aircraft, yes, it does. That's my opinion anyway. Uh, you, you're capable of subtle handling. I'm afraid I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we always used to complain vociferously about the very sloppy auto thrust on the Rolls-Royce engine 330s. Um, so when you flew the 330 and the, the various 340s, did you find any particular difference in how the auto thrust responded on the various engine types, or was it fairly similar? No, very similar. Uh, you see, the, the, the auto thrust on the 320 and 321 is much more precise than it is on the 330. It's just getting a bit technical for our audience. <laughs> not, not at all. We need some, we need <laughs> some rickets. I mean, I, I was essentially lost the minute that we, you know, the, the minute we started the show, to be fair, so I don't think it got anything to do with that, but no. Uh, any, I mean, to, uh, so, to bring, so, bring it back to you, Matt, I mean, with regards to, to the coaches that you drive, yeah. um, you can have the same body, but with different engines. Yeah? yeah oh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and does it make a difference to how you handle the coach with regards to your planning for inclines and slowing down? Uh, well, I mean, if it's a bigger engine, you don't have to plan quite so much usually because you've got you've got yeah. the grunt to sort of to the, to pull it up the hill with very little uh, very little issue. issue. But uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. That that was more. I was just intrigued because I, I I know from when we when we've had sort of conversations in the pub or whatever where it was saying essentially, you know, like Nick was saying, a lot of the time, you know, things are sort of, you know, the engine management systems, if you like, make them all behave according to what settings you've got on the controller so that it's a lot a much more regulated um sort of powerhouse as opposed to perhaps something you've got in a in an end you know like a like a coach or a car or whatever where you know absolutely but what, what i'm effectively getting to is that mm. when you drive the coach that the coach will fundamentally look after you but yeah. with experience you can help very much in how you drive it and how you approach inclines mm. and so forth to make it a lot easier on you and the coach, can't you? Yeah, no, that that's that's true. Uh, I, I I will just say uh, Armando unfortunately has dropped off the the call because uh, of a technical glitch glitch at his his end. He's in the uh, chat room and he was just saying out of interest uh, in the chat room. He's saying, what about the emergency procedures uh, with the different engines? <coughs> are are there differences depending on on the 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 lumps that you're 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 pulling around? Broadly, they're, they're similar. There are different different ECAMs, so different uh, annotations of issues with an engine, depending on what aircraft, you, your engine type you're flying, rather. Yeah, some um, of the bigger Rolls-Royces had uh, sort of shaft uh, torque protection that uh, the smaller engines didn't. But uh, quite honestly, uh, when an emergency comes up, you, you don't have an intimate knowledge of every single drill. No. It's the whole point of having an electronic ECAM that leads you through the action. Mm -hmm. So um, it was never really a problem. Um, you know, if you got one of these faults, you just needed to know about it, uh, know vaguely what was going to happen and uh, yeah. plan ahead accordingly. 
Yeah, I, 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 we're, we're getting the warning from the chat room. Look, that we need to sort of move on. Adam Spinks just said, "Are they still talking about pilot stuff?" Well, I think it's probably <laughs> time to move pilots. on. Uh, <laughs> so, moving on to the blame next me, story. Blame me. <laughs> moving on to the next story, and uh, this is all about uh, aircraft fighting each other. So, I think Armando's got this one next. Hasn't oh, he? he has. Yes, uh, you're going to make me press another button now, I know. aren't you? Yeah, here we go. Yes, uh, Armando, take it away. Hey guys, in another ground mishap incident, a Thai Airways Airbus A330 has seriously damaged the Gulfstream 4 private jet. So it occurred while taxiing at Vientiane Airport on the 9th of March after its wings struck the tail of the Gulfstream, chopping it clean off. So the aircraft, uh, an Airbus A330-300, was about to perform flight TG575 from Vientiane to Bangkok, had 92 passengers and crew on board when the incident occurred. Now there's photos on Twitter showing Gulfstream 4 operated by Blue Sky Leasing in its parking bay looking in perfectly pristine condition other than the fact that its tail is hanging somewhat perfectly off the side. Uh, on closer inspection you can see that the landing gear also has uh, been damaged. It's pretty twisted in its uh, stance rather than being in line with the pavement par uh, markings. So for the Airbus A330, the damage is entirely limited to the outboard leading edge of the wing. The photos show a dent just prior to the wingtip. Um, now obviously for the Airbus, the repairs should be fairly easy. However, it's pretty different for the Gulfstream. It's going to have to go a pretty significant inspection and it's likely going to be written off completely because of that damage. I mean, it's just so sad when they say essentially that it's going to get written, written off, doesn't it? Yeah. I know, I know. It's well, I mean, it, it does look fairly damaged. Yes, yes, seriously. yes. I mean, yeah, I I mean it's, it's going to need a wreck. Uh, you know, I mean, and they they do say essentially that if you can't fix it with gaffer, then you should just essentially throw it well, away. I, don't I they? think so, there's a good yeah. chance you could get some gaffer tape around that and make it look a lot better. <laughs> right. Fork lift it back up right. and kind yeah. of yeah. glue yeah. it. Yeah. Now you're always going on, Matt, about how good that gorilla glue is. It is. Yes, I mean that would be the ultimate test for it. Certainly, I. <laughs> I love the way they uh, make it sound like the wing chopped it off, uh, which, of course, it couldn't possibly do because the wing's too high for that. <laughs> what it did was it hit the tail and uh, it just levered it downwards uh, and the fuselage failed. So uh, it's not like it came along like a, an axe and went slicing no. through it. I mean, it's made quite a mess of it, though. It's of the other plane as well, isn't it? It's, 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 that's a bit of a dink, yeah. Right. I mean, I don't think it'll buff out. I think that's... No, I'd be a bit careful pulling your slats in. But, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they may, may be a little less responsive than you'd hoped. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the, the pilots on that Gulfstream looking at the MEL list. Just saying, <laughs> yeah, you're thinking... Um, no, we haven't got a tail... No, no, I'm no, looking no, at the registration mind. of that golf. Does it actually say TWAT? Uh, right. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's what, it that's what it looks like. <laughs> MTWAT. <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay, uh, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. Come on, <laughs> I, I have I have nothing to say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I must be right there. You get yourself you? into a sticky mess now, Nick. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> good, okay. Whose go is it next? I've no idea. Uh, <laughs> it's moi, moi. Oh, is it? Oh, all right. Then we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave you to take charge. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, next story. This one is on the CNBC.com website. Headline, Boeing 737 MAX cancellations pile Ooh. up. 
in break start to the year. So Boeing reported Wednesday this week that it logged more commercial aircraft cancellations than new orders in February, marking a bleak start to the year for the manufacturer, already reeling from the crashes of its best-selling plane. Boeing said Air Canada cancelled 11 MAX aircraft while some other customers converted their orders for larger aircraft. For example, aircraft leasing firm Airlease uh, converted nine MAX planes into three 787s. Oman Air converted ten MAXs into four 787s. The cancellations tipped Boeing's monthly orders into negative territory, the company said. The Chicago-based manufacturer logged 18 gross orders last month, its first orders for the year, but it also posted 46 cancellations, bringing its total net sales activity for uh, the year to 28 cancellations. A year ago, governments around the world grounded the 737 MAX, uh, obviously after the two crashes, and orders were halted after the second crash back in March 2019, and Boeing suspended production of the MAX jets uh, in January. The company is sticking with its estimate that expects regulators to lift the ban on the aircraft uh, uh, mid-year. Boeing is now facing a fresh challenge with the spread of the C-Virus, which is rolling the airline industry, or roiling them, I should say. Uh, bookings are creating the airline and chiefs this or catering, I should say. Blimey, what's in that water? And airline chiefs this week warned it could worsen before it improves as travellers opt to stay at home uh, and large companies call off business trips. Uh, the company is now drawing down more than a $13 billion loan it secured in January after then expecting to shore up funds amid coronavirus. God, I'm struggling oh, well with that Well done, you said it out loud. Well done. I know. <laughs> Boeing shares, um, for anyone who's got Boeing shares, were down 14% to $199 a share. That's the time to buy. Uh, at the lowest price yeah. since 2017, the drop was shaving more than 200 points off the Dow Jones index. Bloody blah. But, in fact, um, I, I seem to remember actually reading in the, in, the, in the BFF chat, wasn't it? I think somebody was saying now is definitely the right time to be buying aircraft. Uh, buying like, aircraft. Know, well, yeah. not buying aircraft. Uh, uh, buying um, shares, shares in, yeah. in uh, frame manufacturers and, and airlines. Because, uh, yes, uh, uh, whilst things are not great at the moment, uh, let, let's be honest, it's not going to stay like this forever, is it? No. You know, be back to back to normal sooner than we, well, we I hope, hope so yeah absolutely i hope so indeed now, it's, uh, it's interesting that those airlines that now are suffering because they've got too many aircraft and yeah. they would be grounding them because they haven't got enough passengers <laughs> to use them are probably very grateful if they've got 737 maxes sitting uh, there in seattle because, because uh, they're not having to pay for them. Well, no, and also they're not paying for the the parking of them while nope. while this is all going. That's all being paid for by Boeing at the moment. So th there's there's an unexpected upside yeah. to the yeah. uh, the grounding. But the other thing I was going to mention was that this has now really given uh, Airbus a chance to leap ahead in the. Um, total orders for mm. the Airbus 320 family against the Boeing 737 family. Airbus have now overtaken Boeing despite the fact that they started building their aircraft in the mid-80s yeah. and uh, Boeing ha had a, more or less a 20-year lead uh, on 737 uh, sales um, and Airbus have outsold uh, Boeing pretty um, uh, regularly since uh, you know the turn of this century yeah uh, from the chat room Nick Jonathan Warner says are you wearing that hat for a bet 
no. If I was wearing a Boeing one, it would be. <laughs> there you go. Look, I popped it up there. Yeah, it's a nice hat, Nick. Are you wearing that for a bit? I mean, that's a bit rude, isn't it? Yeah, it is yeah. a bit rude. I think. So. I, I thought he was <laughs> a, a nice fine chair. hat. So I have a, a very similar model that I yeah. I was I'm gifted the, by the excellent PR team at Airbus. I'm wearing the t-shirt for yeah. a bit. But, oh, uh, <laughs> hey! Now look, there's no need for that. Uh, um, actually, the main man, Micah, uh, I'll just pop it up on the screen for you. The uh, he's saying actually you can uh, you can say this will all come back. There's a good chance that it won't. This disease is going to change the social uh, norms for years to come. Air travel may decline permanently. How do we feel about that? Do we think that's I that's likely? I think that's a little pessimistic. Uh, SARS was certainly for some areas of the world uh, equally dramatic. Uh, and um, you know we they shrugged it off pretty damn quickly. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Jonathan Warner's been back on, by the way. Oh. Um, same brand as the Carlos van. He sort of said, "Yeah, the, the Airbus yeah, van." Funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got we got Captain Al to thank for that one. Well, quite yeah. absolutely. So moving on to Captain Al, who's going to read the next story? You still for that? I mean, yeah. that's oh, the right, value Al. of that vehicle by a, a huge amount. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the next story, Al, is is with you. Bit worrying I mean, this, this one. This this yeah. This must be sort of resonating. I don't know. Would it be resonating bad memories here, perhaps? Yes, it certainly does. Uh, this story comes from uh, The Guardian, a uh, UK newspaper. The headline being, Norwegian Air Shuttle crew were shut out of hotel over cash fears. Crew members from the loss-making, low-cost airline Norwegian Air Shuttle were refused access to their rooms at an airport hotel until advanced payment was received from the company. Copthorne Hotel at London Gatwick delayed staff accessing rooms on Monday, The Guardian has learned. In a letter to airline employees seen by The Guardian, and indeed me, the hotel said, we have requested your company, Norwegian Airlines, to supply us with advanced payment for your accommodation. The letter written by the front of house manager is dated the 9th of March. The Guardian understands that the hotel is no longer demanding that room bills are settled in advance. The carrier has had a turbulent few months with attempts at an overhaul of its finances hit by the outbreak of coronavirus and a 22% fall in passenger numbers in February. Airlines have been hard hit by travel restrictions due to the spread of the virus, with many implementing emergency cost-cutting measures and slashing flights. The owners of Flybe said the coronavirus outbreak was the final blow that pushed Europe's largest regional airline into administration this month. Norwegian, the third... I love the way that newspapers do that. They introduce a failed carrier into the story <laughs> about an operating carrier just to give it a little bit more sort of drama and crisis. Anyway, Norwegian, the third largest low-cost carrier in Europe behind EasyJet and Ryanair, has cancelled 3,000 flights between mid-March and mid-June and has temporarily laid off staff. It posted an operating loss of £340 million in its 2018 financial results and launched an emergency cash call at the end of January, easing to rain 3 billion kroner, which is £240 million, from its shareholders after IAG, which owns British Airways, ruled out a takeover. Norwegian shares have slumped by 74% since the start of the coronavirus in China and were 15% lower on Wednesday afternoon, the lowest level since 2005. 
The airline said we do not discuss commercially sensitive information regarding our suppliers. This is a standalone case which has now been resolved. Um, yes, I'm, I'm very much aware that everybody associated with aviation, the fuel companies, the handling companies, the hotels, the crew stay in, are very, very twitchy. And it doesn't take much more than a, a little bit of a, of a rumor for things to get very quickly out of hand. Yeah. And yes, there are a lot of airlines that are going to struggle through this period of time. I actually saw the letter in question, and to be fair, it was it was nicely written and worded, and yeah. the bit that The Guardian hasn't reported is that the hotel said in their letter, please do take a seat, make you comfortable whilst we resolve this with your airline, and we will provide you refreshments, which I thought was quite nice, rather yeah. than the just a security guard at the door saying, you're not welcome. You know, the stable's yeah. around the corner if you want it, but you can't come in here. Um, so I thought it was nicely handled by the hotel, and I think it's probably a bit unfortunate that it's come into the public domain yeah. because I don't imagine that the front-of-house manager was very keen to do this, but, no. you know, financial necessity is what it is. Unfortunately, yeah. the news doesn't get too much better for Norwegian because... They very recently, as in today, have basically had to go for a government bailout. Um, the airline CEO, Jacob Schwarm, did not discuss the amount that was being sought from the government of Norway, but he has said that the airline requires help within weeks, not months. Right. And of course, with the United States uh, closing entry to a lot of uh, countries to the United States, that's affecting Norwegian. We've already talked about um, the fact that they've been badly hit by the, the MAX problem. And obviously, the 787 issue with the engines has not helped them. So uh, I wish them well. And I, I have friends at Norwegian, so I hope everything works out, as I do for all of the airlines that are struggling at the moment. We, we, we really don't want to see an aviation apocalypse. No, no. This is... Um yeah it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one to sort of comment on isn't it really because it's uh, they did buy a lot of new aircraft in Norwegian didn't they 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 have well whether they brought them or whether they're leasing them or what I don't know they in the last few years have taken on quite a lot of new aircraft which obviously all cost money relatively speaking that's not difficult to do what's difficult is filling the aircraft with people paying enough money to pay the leasing or mortgage yeah. costs mm. Um, I mean, the majority of airlines do tend to lease because there are tax breaks for leasing. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the lease payments on the 787s are quite considerable. Mm. And those lease payments are typically negotiated uh, with the lease companies quite early on. So um, it's not really something that you can go back and say, yeah, it's times are a bit hard. Can we, you know, can we come to some sort of deal? You take out a lease... It's only an extremist Well, the, the lease holders or the lessors yeah. come to an agreement. Uh, they can do. They have done. Uh, but these are, you know, the terms that you take on board the aircraft. And there are plenty of people who will sell you or lease you aircraft. It's your problem to pay the bills yeah. uh, because they, they they can easily get their, their aircraft back. Yes. I suppose that's the big advantage about leasing, isn't it? From their point of view, it's not like you're you're taking out finance on to, on an aircraft and and that. Although I suppose you, you can reclaim the aircraft if that happens. I guess it's um, 
yeah, it's uh, not good news anyway. There's fingers crossed that uh, that Everything's good, some, yeah. something, something sorts out because you know I, I know several people who have flown with Norwegian who have had nothing but nice things to say about their experience. In fact, Phil uh, Nangle, the the picture that's behind us actually was sent. To uh, by Phil Nangle, it was on a flight that he took this week uh, with Norwegian, and he had nothing but nice things to say about mm. his experience. So, fingers crossed, uh, it, it's not a, not another one that's um, about to go go under, which will be a shame. Uh, we're going to have to sort of Nick. move on. I'm afraid you are up next, Nick, with uh, <laughs> with some fighting, with a, with a bit of fighting talk on this next. Story. A bit of fighting talk. <laughs> well, uh, just give me a clue here. Uh, Carl Story, seven. Story 7. Yep. There's your clue. Story 7. <laughs> yeah. hey, oh, the fine. one after 6 and before 8. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, oh, I love after 8. If only I was an Airbus pilot, I'd be able to work that out. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. I, we... I, I do love it when people on the radio, when ATC say what level you're requesting, and they say, I'm looking for flight level 370. <laughs> and I always do it. I always do it. I say, you'll, you'll find it between 360 and 380. <laughs> I must bore my FOs to death by now. Oh. Yeah, and the rest of the aviation community. <laughs> so, so, this is a story uh, on the Manchester Evening News. Hardly surprising since it affected Manchester Airport. Uh, and some a poor easy flight, easy jet, forced to turn back twice, it says, after disturbances on board. So, six men have been arrested uh, on a flight from Manchester to Alicante. Uh, was forced to turn back twice. The Benidorm after. Express, as it's known up here. <laughs> Excellent. Flight 1919, I don't know if that's a, a, a clue, uh, was uh, March the 5th. It was delayed by over three hours. Uh, uh, the Manchester Post have uh, confirmed that six passengers were arrested for a number of offences. Two men on uh, suspicion of being drunk and disorderly before boarding the flight. They received a, fa a fine. Another four men were arrested on suspicion of failing to comply with cabin crew directions. Yep. Oh. Um, <laughs> and have been summoned to attend court on a later date. So the plane was forced to return to its stand after one group of passengers caused a, caused a disturbance on board. Um, the officers from the police met the aircraft and removed all the disruptive passengers. Holiday makers were further delayed when a medical incident meant the plane had to return oh, to stand as it was taxiing for takeoff. <laughs> um, so, it, that first one, had it actually got airborne? Uh, I, I, I think it was only taxiing, wasn't it? Well, the plane was forced to return to its stand. That seems yeah. to me that it was taxiing, and yeah. then it returned again for a, a medical problem. So, it don't think it actually got airborne. This is a bit of a non-story now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the police Don't say that. The police, <laughs> who picked this stupid story? The police said at around three thirty, police were called to report of a disturbance at Gate Eight uh, in Terminal One. Uh, blah blah. We've had that bit. Separate incident. Yeah, had that bit. Uh, all four people received a summons to court. Uh, in a third unrelated incident, while the aircraft was taxiing off, it was forced to return due to a medical accident. So, basically, uh, they taxied out, came back, offloaded some drunks, taxied out, came back, <laughs> offloaded a poor, unwell passenger. Uh, end of and story. And then flew somewhere. And then, yes, and then <laughs> flew somewhere. Yeah. Presumably to Alicante. 
Uh, well, yes, yes, so there, there is that. Uh, actually, uh, there's, there's some great concern in the chat room um, uh, about uh, the syndrome, I should stress. Uh, so uh, Ra Khan has uh, uh, basically sort of messaged saying that Nick Anderson in PTUK, <laughs> beware APG is spreading, play it safe. And uh, yes, uh, Dr. Yeah. Steph couldn't really help herself, really. She said, Ra Khan, I was going to say something about the highly contagious nature of APG syndrome, but given the current climate, perhaps I'd better not. Well, I do my best to spread the syndrome <laughs> wherever I go. Oh, that's, that's Spreading the love. Yes, absolutely. Which spreading is why love. everybody should wear condoms. Right, okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> particularly the welsh uh, right <laughs> i don't know what to do with that information uh, <laughs> <coughs> um, now this next story yes um, yes please save us oh <laughs> my word i really hope you're not going to put the pictures up on the screen oh can't wait al, al will love this <laughs> oh, this no. um next story right um is very interesting indeed this is on the canberra times oh he has given me the pictures Oh boy! <laughs> Our producer has given us the picture. For those of you watching in the world of YouTube, right. I'll just use the one picture I think because that's all that's we no, need. No, no, no! Yeah. You've got to show them all. It's compulsory. Is it? Yeah. So right. Sky okay. Whale returns to Canberra after seven-year absence. Right. So it's been seven years between sightings, but for Canberra, anxious to see its return. The wait was I'll, worth I'll it. I'll push it for you. Which one is it? <laughs> Sky Whale, the symbol of Canberra. Here we go. Prepare for, prepare for the chat room the to go into slight meltdown. Oh, blimey. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Return to the capital oh, on boy. Monday for Canberra Day. <laughs> I just seen I, uh, Al's eyes just perk up slightly. <laughs> With celebrations. I'm spoiled for choice. Yes, Spectators <laughs> able. Save it, save it. Al. <laughs> spectators able to make brand new memories of the famous, famous hot air bloom. While the multi. <laughs> I, I um, feel scarred by this image. Whale did not take flight. The sky whale was inflated That's in all her glory on the lawns of Old Parliament <laughs> House to the delight, like that. <laughs> to the delight of thousands of people. Being such an unconventional shape, getting sky whale to rise not proved kidding. to be more difficult than first thought. <laughs> One side of the skirt, the whale seemed to inflate more quickly than the other, which needed several attempts to be filled with hot air before it well, ascended. <laughs> We needed Al there. Sky Whale's pilot, Craig I was on Farrell, standby, but, you know. said the inflation was only half the challenge. The other half is to get it down, and we're, oh, we're here to entertain the crowd, Mr. Farrell said. Oh, it's not just the size of the Sky Whale. No, never That's is. That's a challenge. It's the asymmetry. Everything else in the balloon that isn't a traditional teardrop shape is dead weight. Once you introduce this asymmetry into the mix, it's very difficult aerodynamically to hold it up, and landing is even more difficult. Sky Whale burners were Are given you using a workout these words on purpose? throughout the morning, making sure the balloon stayed inflated to entertain the crowds. The balloon remained tethered throughout the morning, particularly due to the large amount of space required, I'm not surprised, to land the sky while should it take off. Uh, we couldn't land in a confined space, he said. We needed a football or, or overall to land it on. 
uh, carefully, and uh, they needed very carefully. Options. So Skywale <laughs> was joined by the 38-meter-high T-Rex, and that was quite a good-sized balloon. Uh, next to it, the lawns of the old Parliament House began to look like the start of a Japanese monster movie, with two large inflatable creatures standing side Sorry, by side. Sorry, I'm reading side. the chat room. <laughs> Sky Whale was commissioned... Oh, I can't believe this next bit. Sky Whale was commissioned for Canberra's centenary celebrations in 2013 at a cost of more than $300,000. Oh, good Lord. Designed by artist Patricia Pensinini, the right. hot air balloon received controversial, I'm not surprised, and mixed reactions upon its unveiling but has since become a Canberra icon I just right I, I mean let, we, there I mean, is let, no should, should, we just, should we just go straight to the chat room there, that's there more we than go. you'd pay at Spearmint Rhino <laughs> right yes uh, I, I, Dr <laughs> Stefan said what the actual um, thing uh, Jonathan Warner who's very rarely lost for words is actually lost for, for words, words. Um, <laughs> yeah, this take. explains to me why so many of those Australians we have as listeners like flying hot air balloons. Yes, indeed. I mean, yes, they yeah. get a big thrill out of it. Yeah, yeah. Tanya is also lost for words. What the uh, yes, uh, uh, your legendary producer, the legend that is uh, Aunt, Auntie Liz. It's uh, what the uh, and I think my favourite one of her comments is um, I can't unsee that, <laughs> uh, which is great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the air stick is being far too sensible and actually telling us who the designer is Isabella uh, Pekini uh, she is uh, the, des <laughs> the designer um, I, I mean just <laughs> I mean uh, yeah uh, Jonathan Warner ends with uh, saying this is the best story you've ever had on the show thanks for uh, that Jonathan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't, I don't know why he's laughing. Military story. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know why he's laughing because at this rate there won't be time for military. But anyway, well, I think it is a military <laughs> story. If I saw that coming over the horizon, I'd run. Uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, Richard Adams again. He's a, he's got a fantastic idea, Carlos. A uh, time for a caption competition, I think. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> Have you no. seen the little dog that someone dressed up to imitate it? <laughs> oh no! Oh, There's actually so someone has actually dressed up their dog right. to imitate Gosh. the uh, the the whale. <laughs> oh dear. A a anyway, uh, who chose that story? Honestly, <laughs> I definitely did not put that one in the box this week. I'm afraid that would be John, I mean, our producer. It's a good job. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a good job. It's a tethered balloon because, I mean, any hot air balloon pilot who'd actually have to take that in the air would feel quite a tit, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, uh, yes. Uh, that was sent to us by, by the Airstig, actually. Uh, that, thanks, Airstig. Yeah, thanks for Name that. Check, that was just like, uh, anyway, uh, we better move on before Al, we the, get shut Al, down. Al, 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 yeah. the next story, Al, is uh, <laughs> g getting back to all seriousness again. The next story is for you, Al. Yeah, I seem to have been uh, deliberately targeted with the sad stories, don't I? But this one comes from the BBC, and it says, Fly the plane seized by Isle of Man government due to outstanding debts. An aircraft owned by collapsed airline Flybe has been impounded by the Manx government until the company's outstanding debts are paid, the Isle of Man's Treasury Minister has said. Alfred Cannon said the airline owed the Infrastructure Department more than £300,000 in landing fees as well as air passenger duty from February. Although that figure is not known yet, January's payment was £155,500. Flybe's administrator, EY, better known as Ernst Young, said the matter would be reviewed. Mr. Cannon told the Manx Parliament a Bombardier Dash 8 aircraft, which was the aircraft in question, 
has a replacement value of around about £25 million and a book value of £4 million. So I hope that we should indeed get our money that is owed. The Ireland's Customs and Excise Division was waiting for confirmation of the total amount of APD still due to the government, Mr Cannon said. The last Flybe aircraft to land at Ronaldsway Airport touched down on the evening of 4th of March, hours before the airline went bust. A spokesman for EY said the team continued to work through the process of collecting information and planning the realisation of assets while supporting employees. This particular situation will be reviewed and considered in due course. So indeed, the government have uh, impounded it. Uh, they'll be hoping to hold it ransom for their money. But, I mean, um, f f forgive uh, my naivety here, but I mean, presumably this is a very common thing, though, surely, when something like this happens. I mean... Yes, typically what happens, and it's happened to the Thomas Cook aircraft at Manchester, yeah. is the, the airport will put a snowplough or something like that uh, preventing the aircraft to be moved. There will be stickers on the door, maybe chains around the undercarriage. Uh, basically, uh, placing a claim on the aircraft for unpaid fees. Now, those of us who've travelled around various airports of the world will see that there are aircraft that have been parked up there for years, decades, um, because the airport have not been able to recover the money. I doubt that will be the case for this Dash 8. Uh, but there is, uh, I'm just trying to think, I think it's an MD-88 in Bucharest. I think it's a 727 in Faro. They've been, well, certainly the aircraft at Faro has been there since the 90s. Oh, gosh. Um, and, you know, uh, the airport have tried to get, you know, money from the owners of it. Uh, but, yeah, fundamentally it's parked there. The airport can't do very much about it because they don't own it. Uh, they've just had to build cones and barriers around it. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, uh, the, the airport will end up negotiating with the owner of the aircraft because I think Flybe were the leasers of the aircraft, so it's the lessors of the aircraft. And um, uh, ultimately, it will be flown out of there. But, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll try to hold on to it for some form of collateral. Whether they get paid or not, I don't know. It uh, is kind of unfair to a certain extent because there'll be a lot of companies uh, who will be in debt to the uh, broke, uh, broken Flybe airline. Uh, and it's only those who can grab hold of some assets and hold them to ransom that stand a chance of getting all their money back. Everyone else is going to have to wait until all the assets are put in a, a pool and then that's going to be spread out amongst them. I don't blame um, Isle of Man uh, for doing this. But it kind of gives them an advantage over lots of other companies who will be uh, equally disadvantaged by the death of Flybe. Yeah. It also becomes quite complicated because I mentioned Thomas Cook. I mean, it's been several months since their sad demise. And some of their aircraft still sit on the ground at Manchester because the paperwork associated with these aircraft is phenomenal. Because uh, people might just think, OK, it's an aircraft. That's pretty straightforward. But the airframe will be owned by one company. The engines will probably be owned by another company. And almost certainly the APU will be owned by a third company. Interesting. 
Yeah, it's uh... so the no- negotiations aren't just you know between two parties; they can be with several parties. Well, of course, yeah. and, and and as you're saying, the thing is, is like like we were saying earlier, a lot of these aircraft aren't actually owned by Flybe; they're actually owned by someone else. So, yep. you know, they're 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 holding someone else's stock, if you like, to to ransom. Yep. And then other things that come into play, as is the case with Thomas Cook and was the case at Monarch, the the maintenance organisations won't release the records uh, for maintenance for these aircraft until they've been paid. So an aircraft is useless without its documents. Interesting. Uh, That's true, yeah. Now, you must have seen that programme where people go uh, around the world and they grab airplane uh, repo. There you go. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. I wonder what? if, uh, yeah, they <laughs> repurpose awesome. yes. uh, aircraft that are left on the ground uh, and uh, fly them away. Uh, and very interesting program. Uh, and I'm just wondering if there's a case for uh, someone sneaking up in the dead of night and moving the chocks and uh, getting this flyby airplane out, <laughs> getting it out of the Isle of Man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is this is why typically they put things like airport snow plows in the way to make it almost mm. impossible to do that. Yep. Uh, I, you, I, 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 know, I know a few 16-year-olds who could move that for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, with a, with a slight, slightly positive news, I suppose, if we could try and spin it slightly, because obviously one of the big things about Flybe going under was the loss of, you know, you know, regional routes, if you like, uh, for us. So Logan Air, as I think we've mentioned before, they picked out some, picked up some of the routes out of Newquay. Uh, now, there's an airline here. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce. It's spelled Orini. A- oh, Thank you, Al. Legendary. Uh, so Orini is to operate flights out of Guernsey. That's good news because that that was quite a big. Um, you know, I, I think Mum actually flew uh, uh, Flybe into Guernsey many years ago. Uh, Blue Islands has today announced it will operate multiple daily flights between Exeter and Manchester. Blue Islands will establish a base, uh, including engineering support in Exeter, for its ATR aircraft and crew to serve the route, which will operate multiple flights throughout the day from mid-April. And uh, British Airways are going to be connecting Newquay to Heathrow. Um, thanks to Alan uh, Loveday, who a uh, brief. Oh, is it only brief, or is it just seasonal? Then is it's a, it? It's a yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you to Alan Loveday for for sending that email uh, into us. Uh, we probably ought to move on then. Nick, yep. uh, Nick, you have the next one. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting story for an all female crew who uh, took a flight, uh, and it was uh, both controlled and manned entirely. Oh, this is a bad choice of words. <laughs> Manned by an all-female crew. It was femaled by an all-female crew. Um, so no one could accuse Canada's best-known airline. Oh, by the way, this is from Narcity.com. Uh, um, best-known airline uh, of not taking International Women's Day seriously this year. History was made with an all-female Air Canada crew and air traffic control team. Uh, the flight took off from Toronto, landed in Edmonton, meaning uh, the capital of Alberta has a place in aviation history. So it was pretty good. I mean, it must have taken some organization to get every uh, single air con- traffic controller that they spoke to uh, uh, on shift at the right time, all ladies. And then uh, I suppose getting the crew involved was possibly a little bit easier but um, the president and chief executive of Air Canada said, says women have shattered the glass ceiling throughout the business uh, and they proudly salute and celebrate the achievements and contributions of nearly 16,000 women 
who work at Air Canada around the world today. So, a good story for the ladies on uh, um, all, what's it, what's it called? I, I still find it Women's day. unbelievable that in this day and age, it still has to be a thing. It really bothers me that, that you know, because I, I genuinely don't care. As long as the person, it could be a monkey for all I care, as long as they're qualified, <laughs> most, you know. Who, whoever has got the, you know, stop it. The, the, but do you know what I mean? It's like I don't, I, I don't understand why it, sh why it should be, uh, why there is so much. Well, I think um, in the industry there is still a reluctance in some countries and in some airlines uh, to recruit uh, every um, available uh, and every qualified uh, woman because they uh, do uh, still uh, have some prejudice. So, yeah. uh, And I think that, seriously, there are not enough women in the industry. Agreed. So when you can get a flight that manages to achieve this, it is something of a milestone, and particularly since it was uh, I mean, it's good International PR Women's if, if Day. Nothing else. But, it, but, but it's like, it is the issue that um, uh, it, the industry is not attractive to... Um, women to, to to become a part of is is that what it is or do you think it's one of those where essentially boys are usually interested in aircraft and that's a question that's beyond me I don't know I'm interested in airplanes and I know lots of ladies mm. that are interested yeah. in airplanes but perhaps not enough I think the day we'll stop getting these stories is the day when uh, parity has been reached yeah no agreed no that's a fair point. Uh, okay, we're going to move on to the next story. That is uh, sent Armando. In, yeah, from Armando. Yeah. If we can just find the right button, I've broken it. Armando has a button. Uh, yeah, he. D long story. We, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll cover that another time. Anyway, uh, take it away, Armando. Hey guys, I did want to do one story. Uh, the FAA is taking some steps to reduce the number of ghost flights in the air. This federal agency announced that it would temporarily be waiving minimum slot use requirements at U.S. airports. Now, this is going to allow airlines to cancel flights without fear of losing their slots at congested or busy airports. Now, airlines have obviously seen this downturn in, uh, in business amongst this ongoing coronavirus uh, outbreak. So in a recent press release, the FAA stated that they would waive the requirement through May 31st of this year and that the change would apply to both domestic and foreign airlines. It also announced that the agency will continue to monitor the coronavirus impact on travel and, quote, may adjust this waiver as circumstances warrant, end quote. So the New York Post recently reported on how the minimum slot use regulation, also known as the 80-20 rule, was causing airlines to fly empty planes or what's called ghost flights in order to maintain their slots. Obviously, flying these empty planes can be costly. Uh, airlines have to burn an average of five gallons per jet of jet fuel per mile. Uh, these flights also emit an average of half a ton of carbon dioxide per seat, according to the New York Post. So the European Union has also suspended their rules requiring the airlines to fly 80% of their flights to keep their slots, and that's according to a Reuters report. Um, they said that the commission will put forward very rapidly some legislation um, they said that they want to make it easier for airlines to keep their airport slots even if they do not operate flights in those slots because of the declining traffic. Oh, 
don't know what happened there. Sorry about Sorry that. About. So we just, the end got cut off there. So it's... Uh, uh, yeah, Ghost he was talking about maintaining your slot, which is something I've always been in favour uh, of. Uh, of course, absolutely. I expect nothing less, Al. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's uh, exactly the same as happening in Europe. I think it's worth saying uh, the EU has now suspended its rules regarding slot usage for four months. Uh, yeah. I, I must admit, I didn't realise that, um, that Ghost, Ghost Flights was a, a thing, because I think it... Was it was, was I reading a story this week that BA were, were doing Ghost Flights between Gatwick and Heathrow or something like that? Cause they yeah, the, with, with slots, it's use it or lose it. Yeah. Uh, and if uh, people bid and get a slot and they're not prepared then to put a service on it, uh, then it's obviously unfair for other airlines who could use that slot. So if you don't use it, it's going to be taken away from you. Right. But, of course, in these sort of times when you're Surely nobody's travelling, yeah. uh, then everyone is in the same boat and we don't really want uh, to fly empty airplanes empty around aircraft, just yeah. for the sake of it. But it has happened in the past and it will con continue to do so. Wow. Uh, but right now they, of course, sensibly suspended that rule. Do, do airlines pay up front for a slot, Nick? Do you know? Do they kind of pay like a yearly charge to have a slot at an airport? Do you I know? don't know. Al, do you know? Uh, yes, in simple terms. They, they can be traded. Um, I think Oman Air have just bought some Heathrow slots that came up very recently, haven't they? Um, did they pay something like seventy-two million pounds for them? I, I don't know if I've got that figure. Yeah, but I don't know if that's a, a once-only payment or whether they have to pay a, a continual fee to keep it. It's a, it's to the best of my knowledge, it's a one-off fee, but you have to reapply each year uh, for your slots. Mm -hmm. And there have been occasions in the past where people, or airlines rather, have forgotten to put a particular slot on their their annual return, oh, and no. um, and uh, therefore have uh, have lost them. <laughs> oh gosh, that would be a bit of an administrative yeah. cock-up. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. You, especially when so, you've got people so turning up to an airport expecting to go on holiday. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it has uh, it has happened. Uh, most of the slots in the UK and other parts of the world are administ administered uh, by a company, and um, uh, basically, I think that air that company is called something like Airport Administration or something like that, and they administer the slots. If I am correct, that money is just between the organizations as in the airlines so the airport don't actually receive that money the best way you could describe it is it's a bit like a franchise yeah uh yeah so uh, in fact actually we've had official confirmation of that so uh, adam has very kindly be, uh, been in touch he's saying you don't pay the airport uh for a slot uh the sums that uh, airlines pay is between themselves uh when they trade them uh, and then, uh, yes, uh, you have to apply for them, and there is an admin fee to cover the cost of airport coordination. So there you go. It's, it's good. Uh, I'm telling you, it's good that we I have know, a chat room like absolutely. this. Absolutely. We've got, got a great chat room. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to need to sort of move on now. We, we, we're, I'm sorry that we're talking so much about uh, said uh, coronavirus at the moment, but obviously I'm sure everybody appreciates it's a, a huge uh, story at the moment. But... Uh, one of the things I was most aware of, uh, say this is a wonderful little community that we're we're so very lucky to be a, a, a part of. 
but uh, of course one of our friends of, of the show is actually living in Italy which has sort of accidentally become the epicentre mm. of, of this uh, uh, crisis for want of a better word uh, and I had uh, uh, a chance to, to chat to her uh, last night in fact and uh, yeah we managed to get a little bit of advice as well from the uh, the good APG doctor uh, about uh, what to do so uh, uh, let's have a little listen Obviously, big news at the moment is uh, the coronavirus, and uh, our little community, I would say, is a very close one. And uh, for that reason, and that reason alone, I guess, uh, we've all been following what's been going on in uh, sort of Europe quite closely, and more especially uh, from our point of view, uh, Italy. And of course, uh, we have a very lovely correspondent who often sends stuff to us here, who sort of I, I unwittingly has ended up in what I can only describe as the epicentre of, of what's been going on. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, Jenny now. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Hello to everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate this is probably a slightly strange time for you, but I just wanted to take the the opportunity to ask a few questions, really. So, I mean, obviously, we're, the media and things has, has highlighted clearly that uh, you're essentially on lockdown, but I, I was interested to know um, how, how it's all come about. I mean, so how were you notified, for example? So uh, wh when did it sort of become clear that um, things were about to change quite dramatically? I don't know, it started off about the end of January. I, I was going to work one morning and outside a hotel, just as I walked past it, there was all these press people with cameras. And I thought, oh, there must be somebody famous staying there at the moment. And then I discovered that those were the first two cases in Italy, two Chinese tourists who'd been traveling up and down Italy. And um, they were the first two and they were whisked off instantly. And so that was the end of January. And then in February, there was more news about it gradually. But I suppose it really kicked off about a week ago when in my office, I work for quite a large organization with about 4,000 employees in Rome. And they started to say that, you know, if anybody thought that they, they shouldn't, that, uh, that they were at risk, um, like for the age group, which is certainly my case, or had uh, relatives, they were living with people who had bad health, then they could ask to work from home. So... I didn't waste any time about that. I asked straight away if I could work from home. And so I have been working from home for about a week. And so climbing the walls now, but uh, <laughs> here we are. So, so you've gone from that, obviously, uh, and I think it was that the north of Italy was, was sort of affected first. Um, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head when, when that all oh, sort of really right. kicked in. About, um, and then I think it was just a couple of, about a was it less than a week ago? They they closed down the north basically, mm. and they they announced it sort of late in the evening. The prime minister comes on, and last night he came on to say that it was closing. Uh, two nights ago, closing down the whole of Italy, and then last night even more strictly is closed down all shops, essentially all commercial activities except for bars and uh, no, including bars and restaurants. Mm. It's, you can go and buy. You can only go out of your house. If it's for if you've got to buy if you have to buy food, or uh, go to a chemist, or for, for sort of for health reasons, or for um, some absolutely urgent reason, and so for example, we're not even allowed to drive down to the seaside where we've got where we've got a flat. Um, mm. Even if we go in our own car and stay in the house, we can't do that. And every time you go out, even if you're going to do the shopping, you have to take out a declaration in uh, in two copies. Uh, saying why you're going outside and the police can stop you. And today they've fined 
uh, more than 2,000 people who've been out without a good reason. Wow, okay. Uh, and so presumably good reason is uh, going out to collect uh, supplies, if you like, for, for being in, in isolation. It's a bit weird, really, because even to go to the supermarket, you have to, there's a man on the door and he's got a mask. There are no masks available, so you have, we just have to go out without masks. But uh, a man on the door of the supermarket and we have to queue outside a metre diff. When you're outside, you have to always stay one metre distance from people because that apparently is the minimum distance you have to keep. And then, so there's this queue down the road with everybody one metre apart. And I, I was thinking it's like, used to read about wartime, you know, queuing up and <laughs> rationing and things. Although there isn't any rationing. Once it's your turn to go into the supermarket, there's plenty of stuff and plenty of toilet rolls if anyone oh, needs Oh, good. <laughs> well, for, for <laughs> us here in the UK, that is a huge relief, I have to be honest. There was, there was a run on the biscuits. but Right. Um, yeah, well, like, biscuits I get. That's fine. You know, it's emergency rations and things like that. So obviously um, everything's all in lockdown now. Now, I know that uh, from, I think it was from the chat room last week, I remember you saying actually that, that you would normally i think was it next week you would normally been you were planning to come and visit mum obviously who lives here in norfolk that's right yes no i got a, a letter from ryanair i had uh, my trip with ryanair and i got a letter about um a week ago saying that um they weren't going to be my flight had already been cancelled and that um uh, they would give me a refund. Right. And so, for, like, first time in history, I got a full refund paid <laughs> straight away back into my bank account no from mess, Ryanair. No so. messing at all. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's a, a how long is a piece of string, I guess. Uh, I mean, how long do you think this is likely to be uh, sort of going on for? Certainly, have they given you any indication, or I guess they don't know yet? They don't really know. The schools are closed until the 3rd of April. And. And then they'll just see. In my office, they said they're just discussing it on a weekly basis, but they're assuming we'll all be home till the 3rd of April. Gosh, okay. So I mean, I get the idea. They're just trying to sort of um, get the health service up to speed even more and just keep us all indoors so that when we go out again and get ill, if we get ill, yeah. then they'll be able to cope with it better. So, I mean, obviously, the, the most important question, which is uh, really why we wanted to sort of just have an opportunity to catch up with you, is uh, how is everyone, obviously? Uh, I mean, you you guys in good health? I mean, no, no issues, hopefully, as far as said virus is concerned? No, we're fine. The only person we heard of was the, the father of a friend of my daughter, uh, the friend is actually in London and her father lives in Rome, not too far away, and, and he's in hospital and he ha he says he hadn't seen anyone from China or travelled abroad. Right. But that's the I don't know anybody else. No, okay. Uh, well, we're very lucky in that joining us this evening uh, is uh, the very good doctor who we've borrowed from APG just to have a quick chat. And I wondered, obviously, as you're right in the middle of it all, Jenny, uh, is there any question that you would like to, to, to uh, ask Dr. Steph while she's here? Well, I would actually, because here um, they just keep telling us that we have to wash our hands for 20 seconds and we have to not touch our, our faces. And it seemed to be sort of rather basic stuff. I wondered if maybe in the States you were getting better information about how you could protect yourself. Jenny, great question. Um, I'd like to say that there is different information or something more because um, it seems kind of basic, doesn't it? So just wash your hands for 20 seconds with uh, warm water and soap. Um, if you're going to use any of the gel hand sanitizers, um, they should be alcohol containing and ideally 60% or higher. Um, 
and beyond that, just practice other good hygiene. So if you're going to cough or sneeze, you want to do it into kind of the corner of your elbow um, or make sure that you cover your mouth with a tissue of some sort. If you do that, then go immediately and wash your hands again. You can't be uh, doing that too often these days. Um, but that's really the basic guidelines for people who are not ill. Um, if you are not sick, if you're not displaying any symptoms, if you haven't had any close contact with anyone known to have coronavirus, COVID-19, there's really no guidance to wear any type of face mask. Um, so all these people you see wearing face masks um, might not have any real, um, uh, I guess, science behind that. Um, if you're If you're sick, you should be wearing a face mask because again, this is all about preventing um, transmission of the virus through droplets. So droplets, respiratory droplets, coughing, sneezing, that's how you're gonna transmit this virus most readily um, and being in relatively close contact with folks who are uh, symptomatic and uh, shedding the virus. So um, if you are ill um, and even if you don't know it, what you're sick with because it's still cold and flu season. So this could just be regular influenza that you have. It could be some other common cold that you have. Um, now is the time though to take extra precautions. So go ahead and wear that face mask because that will reduce the amount of droplets that you are putting into the air. Um, you probably do want to go ahead and um, self-quarantine if you have been in contact with someone who is known to be uh, positive, uh, to have tested positive for COVID-19, for coronavirus. Um, if you're not sure if that's you, um, you wanna get in touch with your local, you know, here in the United States, at least the guidance is get in touch with your uh, primary care doctor, get in touch with a um, urgent care or an emergency department, an A&E type department. Um, They're suggesting that perhaps you call ahead so that they know that you're coming and they can figure out how to, um, if they're able to do testing, how they were going to do that without you walking into the building and exposing other people to the virus. Um, so certainly there's ways that that are occurring. You know, people are being asked to wait in the parking lot or being escorted into buildings so they don't have to touch any surfaces um, or even being tested just um, outside the building. So I, I know in the UK, a lot of the advice has been actually uh, that to call the emergency. So we have like a, a 111 number rather than the mm -hmm. emergency number, the 911. Sure, uh, sure. We have a 111 number. And I know that certain testings have been taking place. Actually, they've been doing like what they call drive-by testings where they come I mean, they drive into the the car. They they're tested mm. essentially in their car without leaving the car, uh, and then on they go. Now I know uh, I made a bit of an error. I think in in last week's episode because uh, I was sort of saying essentially it was it was like Sue and you was, like flu. Sorry, you were saying it was it was flu like symptoms, but it's not flu. So sure. So two different that. two different viruses. So this is a corona coronavirus, um, which is actually a family of viruses. They're common. Um, when you're sick, especially as a child, a lot of those um, illnesses that cause like a common cold, upper respiratory infection, those are caused by coronaviruses. Um, so there's, there's a lot of them out there. This is just happens to be a new one that has not infected the human population before. Not sure entirely how it originated, whether it's a mutation from a previous um, type of coronavirus um, or whether it was being harbored in some other animal species um, prior to making the jump to humans, which certainly that can can happen sometimes. Um, so this is not influenza. That's the influenza virus. Um, totally different. So even if you're, I should not be touching my face there. See how easy it is to do that. <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. Uh, I know it's terrible. And I'm watching myself on my, my camera so I could see myself do it in real time. Um, but yes, it's not influenza. Um, you, uh, the guidance around the world is still to get your flu vaccine because that is still a very real illness. Um, this has not taken over 
influenza in any way, shape, or form, you still want to protect yourself from that, provide herd immunity, and not spread that illness to people who are susceptible either. Um, so hopefully that answers your question about um, coronavirus versus influenza. Yeah, so if you're um, if you think you might be, what are the actual symptoms? So what is it that we're watching out for? If you like mm -hmm. to uh, to know whether we need to take further steps. Sure. So so this is a flu-like illness for a lot of people, um, but there are some differences, and that's why there's been some confusion initially. You know, is this just a different type of flu or not? Um, the vast majority of people will have some sort of cough. So that's very prevalent with this. I've heard 60 to 80 percent of people who have coronavirus have a cough. Up to 50% of people have a fever when they first present with the illness, um, and up to 75% will develop a fever with it at some point. Um, 20 to 40% of people will actually have some shortness of breath. Um, so that's something to look out for. Um, it's very few folks who actually have other upper respiratory type symptoms like sneezing, runny nose, um, and very few people get um, gastrointestinal, so stomach issues with this, like 10%. Which, which makes the, the uh, panic buying of toilet rolls all the less sensible, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's not any, I actually was listening to um, a discussion with some health experts on the way home today on the news, and that was a, a question asked directly to them, um, is there any sense to run out and buy a whole bunch of toilet paper toilet rolls? And they said, uh, that seems, um, no, there's Odd. no yeah. real good reason to do <laughs> no, that. Indeed. So, so it, you think that perhaps you're ticking the boxes with all of the... the um, the, the symptoms uh i mean presumably then that is the time that one should be self-isolating exactly so the name of the game with this particular virus is um, social distancing which is why you're seeing so many different um, things being cancelled around the world so i can speak to what's happening here in the united states right now um you know you were talking about italy just a little while ago as they've been kind of the epicenter in europe um the thought here is that um how things are progressing here, we're essentially 10 to 14 days behind what's happened in Italy in terms of cases and case progression. Um, so there's all of a sudden this, this very big push to make sure that we're trying to do what we can to limit the spread of the, the illness. Um, I was explaining if you um, were watching us on APG earlier, the episode has not been released yet, so you may very well be watching this first. Um, if you kind of think of a graph on one axis, you have different illnesses of the world that um, in terms of how contagious they are. On one end, you have something that's not very contagious. On the other hand, you have something like measles or chicken pox, which you're around someone who has it and you're going to get it basically, like it's very contagious. And then on the other axis, you have um, how severe the illness is. So how likely are you actually to get a severe illness where you might actually die from it? Um, and on the bottom end of that is something like, you know, chicken pox for most children who, who get it. But on the top end of that might be something like Ebola virus. Um, and then, and so I, you kind I, of look at that. And mm -hmm. I was just thinking it's important also to, to mention perhaps at this at this stage that, um, it, you know, I, I, I guess uh, age is, is a factor here, isn't it, really? It, the, so, it is, it uh, is. It, it's yeah. the, the impact to, to certain generations is perhaps, is, is perhaps a bit higher, you're certainly higher risk. Um, sure, depending sure. On age. Yeah, so to tie that all in, so this virus falls somewhere you know, it's it's fairly transmissible, it's fairly contagious. Um, and then it's kind of, it's still on the lower end in terms of the severity of how bad things could actually be. You know, it's not 100% of people who are getting this illness are, are dying from it. It's not even, you know, 20%. But um, we're still kind of figuring out exactly where that actual percentage lies because 
um, certainly not everyone gets tested for it who has the virus. Um, it seems to be that folks who are on the older end of the spectrum, so, and it, it kind of goes up by decade. Um, some of what we've seen have been, if you're, um, well, let's start on the, on the good news end of things. So if you're under the age of 10, it's like a 0.1.01% chance of dying from coronavirus. And going back to where I mentioned, because some of um, those other illnesses that children often get that are cold and flu-like illnesses are related to coronaviruses. Um, there's some thought that having been exposed to those and having had a, an illness with a coronavirus recently gives you some weak immunity to this current coronavirus because they're you know, marginally related to one another. Mm. Um, but as you get older, you know, we haven't, you have those illnesses when you're a child and then you don't, even though you're exposed to the virus again, you don't have an illness related to it. You don't mount that immune response again. Um, so you lose that protection over time. And since we haven't seen this virus before, the older you are, especially um, if you have other medical problems, um, in particular things like um, diabetes, heart disease, um, gosh, a bunch of other, so other respiratory illnesses, COPD, things like that. Uh, things your like risk pneumonia, stuff like pneumonia, that. Pneumonia, yeah. yeah if, you, if you're prone to those types of things, it goes up exponentially. So you have that you know, 0.1 risk of mortality as a very young child, it goes all the way up to maybe 15% in, in the above 80 age range, and that's very significant. Mm. So above the age of 60, it really starts to to go up in terms of folks who have more severe severe illnesses. It, interestingly, I, I, an article I was reading, um, uh, actually I think it was yesterday, um, that sort of talked about, because there, there is obviously a, a, a vaccine for things like pneumonia. I mean, would, is something like that likely to to help or is it all a bit too late i guess for for stuff well like the that? problem so the problem with vaccines is that they take time to develop um they have to be tested they have to be um they, they, it just takes time mm. um so usually you're looking at on the early end of things maybe a year and a half once something like this oh wow comes on the scene um so it's definitely not going to be for this season of this illness um it won't be available that quickly um, but hopefully in the future it will be if it continues to be a, a problematic virus for us okay uh, so, uh, obviously, if you if you have got symptoms, I mean, what advice would you, you give to, to people in regards to sort of trying to stay well? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. So it, you're really going to have to take a look at what your symptoms are. You know, if you're one of those folks who just has um, a mild illness, you have cough, maybe fever, um, and, and nothing more along with it, uh, you're probably fine to um, keep an eye on yourself, um, stay home, monitor your situation. Don't go in contact with other people. If it starts to get worse, then you need to seek medical treatment. Certainly, if you're having shortness of breath at any point in time, that's the time to get in touch with your, um, your doctor, your local department of health, your emergency department, whatever it is that you need to, to do to keep yourself safe and well. Um, my understanding, and um, I'll say don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% certain, um, but is that some people can develop severe symptoms very quickly. So you know, you want to keep a close eye on that. You want to know how you're feeling, how you're doing. If you think you might have coronavirus and you're starting to show symptoms and it's getting progressively worse, that's not the time to wait at home and see if it's going to play itself out. Um, um, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to say about that. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, well, I was, I was thinking actually if we could sort of round it round more specifically because mm -hmm. I mean a lot of people who listen to this are traveling all the time as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that are flying um, from, I know there are flight restrictions that have now been put in place between Europe and and the US, interestingly, not between us, which is, is a bit strange, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I have my own personal feelings on that, which I'll, <laughs> I'll probably stay away from. Yeah, um, no, the, the intention enough. of the intention of all of this is really just to make sure that um, 
you know, you're limiting exposure. Um, We talk a lot about uh, just within the medical community, trying to flatten the curve. The problem with this virus is that if you have enough sick people, it can actually overwhelm the uh, healthcare infrastructure, Mm. which is a lot of what's happened in Italy. There are enough people who are severely ill requiring um, ventilation, intubation, and there just aren't enough Mm. ventilation machines to go around to help all of these people. Mm. Um, So it quickly overwhelms the system. It overwhelms any other illnesses that people are coming into the hospital to be treated for, it, it really pulls resources. Um, so the goal is to not have such a huge spike in people who are sick all at the same time. Mm. Um, so it's to try and spread that out so not everyone gets sick yeah. altogether. Now, interestingly, you just mentioned uh, the, the, the Italy. Uh, Jenny, I wondered if, uh, uh, if there have been any restrictions put in place in regard to uh, like the airports near to you. Well, yes, we've just heard that Fiumicino, the big airport, has, um, is going to close Terminal 1 from next Tuesday, the 17th of March, and all flights will go through Terminal 3. And they're going to continue testing people for uh, their temperatures, both arriving and leaving. Right. Whereas Ciampino, the smaller one, will be um, they're closing on Saturday to all commercial travel. Gosh, gosh. Well, I'm sure I speak for everybody in the community when we say, please, 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 I hope you and your wonderful family all stay very safe while this is all going on there. And uh, I'd like to say that on behalf of our wonderful community that we're all thinking of you uh, while you're uh, while you're on lockdown and, and let's hope you, you all stay safe and well. Yeah, and, and likewise from us um, over here in the States, Jenny, you certainly were thinking of all of you guys. Um, you've been on my mind very much so recently with all of this going on and we're glad to hear that you're healthy and well and safe at this point, because that's the most important thing. Um, hopefully this is something that does, um, it, you know, with a new virus, it's it's hard to know how it's going to run its course, but hopefully it's something that it does start to quiet down over the next weeks to months um, and life can return to, to normal. Um, but it's great to hear from you and thanks for all of your insights. We really appreciate hearing that because we are keeping a close eye on what's what's happening there in Italy. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Clean hands, clean hands. <laughs> and, and that is fantastic advice for everybody, oh. isn't it, really? Clean hands, clean hands. My personal thanks to both Jenny and uh, Dr. Steph for doing that for me. I, th- I think one of the the, the funny th- the funniest things I was reading in the chat room during this was... Um, uh, uh, I'm just trying to find it now. Uh, there we go. This is, this is uh, from uh, Tony S. He was saying, good evening, everyone. Is this the right place for the Plain Medical Talking Podcast? <laughs> I think that's very appropriate but uh, as al actually said in the chat room the what sorry pmt podcast that's a whole different thing we're we're, going to walk away from that car crash uh but uh yeah uh, thanks dr steph for for that as 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 al said there's so much um misinformation out there and uh, it was great to have a chat with jenny as well i'm so glad that she's well that's uh, the important thing and they're they're all on lockdown so anyway we're not going to talk about that anymore uh time to move on yeah, yeah so we are going to move things on to the next part of the show which is of course uh, the military segment uh, of news so if everyone's Ready yes, to. we're going to bash through this very quickly because we have basically uh, 12 minutes in which to deal with the grey stuff. So good luck, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Welsh chicken? Something like that. Yeah. KFC, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, off you go, Carl. Thank you. So the first news story, we're going to quickly breeze through these first couple of stories. Um, 
But uh, this first one's on the Gloucestershire Live. And uh, RB2 Stealth Bombers returning to RAF Fairford. United States Air Force begins deployment to its bases in Europe. US, uh, United States Air Force sends Spirit Stealth Bomber aircraft from the 509th Bomb Wing and the 131st Bomb Wing at Whiteman Air Base, Missouri, to the Azores, saying they will operate out of various military installations uh, in the U uh, US European Command's area responsibility. Updated... Uh, there's some pictures actually on this story which uh, Matt may ping up on the screen if you're lucky. Okay, yes. uh, stealth bombers have landed in Portugal Sorry, as a major deployment you of US me uh, <laughs> United States Air Force aircraft. Uh, B2s arrived at Le is it Lagefield Le in the Azores, uh, flying Largez. Largez, thank you <laughs> for exercises in Europe. Uh, they'll be operating on various military bases in Europe, leading to speculation they will again return to RF Fairford. I'm sure Jonathan Warner hopes they do. So uh, they are sent here as part of the United States commitment to NATO and its allies, and uh, there's no official confirmation of any deployment to RF Fairford at the moment. And the USAF does not. Uh, they arrived today, comment. did they not? Oh, did they? Probably did. Jonathan will be the first person to ask about that. Yeah, I think yeah. two arrived. Oh, we got two. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just sent me... Hang on, I've been sent a WhatsApp one moment caller. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm going to have to lose my subscription to the not interested in military now if this turns out to be oh, true on time. Oh, no. I've... Your secret's out. <laughs> yes, I think... Secret's out, Al. I think they came under the call sign of Flossy 1 and Flossy 2. That's why I was interested. So B-2 stealth bombers were last at RF Fairford uh, in August uh, last year, actually, on August the 27th to, uh, to September the 20th last year. Um, as also, actually, with this story, for those of you who may or click on the links that we put in the show notes, there is actually a really good video as well, which goes with this story um, of uh, the B-2 as well, or the U-2, I should say, mm. uh, spy plane. There we go. So for those who are watching on YouTube, that little bit picture just popped up on the screen there. Yeah. Moving on quickly to the next story. Uh, Captain Al. Okay, very quickly then. This comes from the BBC News website. Six RAF jets intercept Russian aircraft heading for Scottish coast. Six RAF fighter jets were scrambled to intercept Russian aircraft as they approached British airspace, the military of defence has said. The Russian bombers were tracked heading towards the northwest coast of Scotland on Saturday. It prompted the Air Force to deploy three pairs of Typhoons from its Quick Reaction Alert program. Two pairs left from RAF Lossiemouth in Moray, while the third flew from RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire. Flying in formation, two pairs approached the aircraft before withdrawing, while the third pair forced them to change their course. The Russian aircraft were later identified as Tupolev 2U-142 Bears, which are used both as strategic bombers and long-range maritime patrol planes. The total number of Russian aircraft involved in the incident has not been revealed. RAF Lossiemouth crews on standby for quick alert instance. This was a routine response to Russian aircraft approaching, sorry, approaching UK airspace and was coordinated with several other NATO allies, an RAF spokesman said. Well, well done, boys. <laughs> well, why do they keep doing this, though? What, what have I missed? Because they're, they're, just, they're rubbing in our faces that they've got an aircraft that was first flown in July 1968, right. okay. and it's still flying now. All right. Well, like the 737. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the interesting thing is uh, you can't actually force an aircraft to do anything when they're in international airspace, so I'm not too sure about the accuracy of that. 
Uh, and they could be just uh, doing what we would do uh, over the ocean, military maneuvers. They could be monitoring NATO fleets. They could be searching for submarines, all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing you can actually do unless they uh, penetrate your 12-mile uh, ring around the country. In your years... Nick, am I also right... Oh. That, sorry, sorry. Am I right in thinking that these bears can also... Uh, drop very long antenna to communicate with uh, Russian submarines that may be a very long way from Russia. Yeah, yeah exactly right. It is an extremely long antenna, uh, and uh, it's to transmit a very VLF, very low frequency uh, transmissions mm -hmm. that will penetrate water and allow them to communicate directly with their submarines under their submarines underwater. So it may well be, for example, that there are Russian submarines off the coast of, say, the United States that they need to communicate with, and this would be probably one of the ways that the Russians can do it. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, yeah, I don't know where the submarines would be, but this certainly is. No, a, it was an example of it being yep. a long way away from Russia. Mm. Exactly, yes, that's very true. Did you yeah. ever fly any, see any of these in your flying career with uh, Royal Air Force, Nick? when you were flying? Uh, yeah, many times. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm 36 uh, live intercepts, and the great vast majority were bears. What is interesting about these intercepts was that I saw some video taken from inside the bear uh, oh. that was posted uh, on Facebook, and uh, the guys were filming the typhoons uh, on their wings. Oh. Which was quite an interesting thing. As you do. That's what to show the kids when you get home, I suppose. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Mm. Yeah. That must have been quite amusing for the Air Force crews to see that, yeah. because in your day, Nick, obviously, apart from anything else, the technology, the social media wasn't there, so, you know, to see the other side of the equation. Exactly right, and I think on one of the pictures we can see here, we can see a guy with a camera at the window of, uh, of oh, these wow. bears. Yeah, uh, very interesting, quite right, but not really a Cold War anymore. No, no, that's or true. Or shouldn't be. No. So moving from one... Uh, um, old, older style oh. aircraft to uh, to another slightly older style aircraft on the next story. Well, quite right, <laughs> and this should be a, an aircraft that, in fact, it is in in many uh, museums around the world. But Japan has only just started to say so long to the F four Phantom or Sayonara uh, to the F four Phantom. Uh, the F-4 Phantom II, of course, because there was an earlier one. And Japan has been uh, flying one particular airframe for more than 50 years. Wow. So uh, they're getting rid of their uh, RF-4EJ Phantom IIs, um, which uh, you know, is quite a bit of history, really. The last country to operate them uh, uh, is part of their armed uh, service. And the last uh, six, uh, they're... they're uh, Reconnaissance aircraft, these fan equipped with cameras, of course, for uh, doing our reconnaissance on the enemy or whatever you want to take pictures of. But the last six uh, flew for the last time on March the 9th, and the country will retire its entire Phantom fleet by the end of the year. And meanwhile, it's pursuing their new fighter. Like a lot of countries, uh, they are acquiring the new F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. So for those pilots, it'll be a very exciting step from the old F-4, uh, very old F-4 in their case, uh, up to the most modern of modern, the F-35. So fantastic. Great. It's a great aircraft, isn't it? It's uh, You must have very so many fond memories of... Uh, yeah. 
of said aircraft. Apparently there are three countries still flying the Fantastic Phantom, spelt with a PH, as we Phantom pilots like to, uh, Japan, South Korea and Turkey. So First you, flew in May 1958. There you go. Phantom brilliant so aeroplane. So moving on to the last uh, story in that, and uh, this one is on Flight Global. Never be gutted, Mr. Oh, Font. Oh, his favourite font, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so uh, for those of you who are interested in uh, the latest Air Force One variant, Boeing starts Air Force One modifications of the 747-8. So Boeing has begun modifications, well, it's got plenty of time on its hands, I suppose, uh, to the first of two commercial 747-8 airliners, which are to be turned into the US Air Force uh, VC-25B aircraft. Known by its Air Force One call sign when the US President flies on board, two VC-25Bs are to operate to, uh, as the USA's top executive transports for the next 30 years. Modifications are being done at Boeing's San Antonio, Texas facilities, says <coughs> the US Air Force. Uh, the first phase of aircraft modification involves cutting out uh, large Hose that skin. man down. Get the James fluid out straight away. <laughs> <laughs> if we're here next week, it'll be a miracle. So, uh, yeah, the first uh, modification involves cutting out large uh, Twice, apparently. areas of Twice. skin <laughs> and structure. In, here, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I just, I say put the fan on, Matt, honestly. Yeah, sorry, I can't. So the uh, super panels contain uh, structural upgrades and uh, cutouts for the VC-25B lower lobe doors include internal air stairs for mission requirements. The US Air Force is working to replace its current fleet of presidential aircraft to 747-200 based VC-25A aircraft delivered in 1991 with obviously these two nice shiny 747-8s. These were originally built for Russian uh, carrier Transero which filed for bankruptcy back in 2015 before it could take delivery of the aircraft. Uh, the commercial airliners need extensive retrofits to be transformed into the VC-25B configuration. For example, the two air stair doors, uh, one forward of the wing and one behind the wing, did not come as part of the commercial airliner configuration. According to US Air Force acquisition documents released in July 2018, the retractable air stairs are to allow the aircraft to emplane passengers and crew without needing to rely on ground-based staircases. The commercial 747, it's almost like we've got Al here, the commercial 747-8s have been stripped by uh, of, of its many typical components as well, says the US Air Force. Boeing prepared the two aircraft for modifications uh, by uh, starting to remove the commercial interiors, engines, auxiliary power units, and numerous uh, secondary system components, says the uh, service. Uh, additionally, Boeing placed a sophisticated jacking and crib mechanism, are they playing cards, under each uh, aircraft to reduce structural stress uh, for the initial modification phases. The V-25B is to be retrofitted so that the President of the USA can carry on running the federal government, including command and controlling the US military while in flight. As such, detailed information about the aircraft's components and capabilities are currently classified or tightly hey. controlled. Are you right there, Al? Yes, I've just been joined by my son. Hey. So am I right in saying that the President will be flying around in ex-Russian aeroplanes? No, I suppose I, that is I, true. I, I don't think we should. I don't think we should go there. Oh, really, I think we should go there big time. <laughs> what, I'm very Actually, concerned. What do yeah. you think about him uh, changing the colour scheme? Because obviously they're going to change the colour scheme of this um, of this aircraft from the current to what it is. Yeah, on I'd this rather like here. the red stars it had on before. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. <laughs> 
Oh dear, never mind. Uh, it's one of those. Um, it's well, I, I, as I say, they've got plenty of time on their hands, haven't they? To uh, to be able to uh, to sort of get this 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 started, really. And so this this one won't be able to air and air to air refuel. No, they're oh, not could the other one. Could the other yeah, one air? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, these two brand new spanking shiny aircraft are due to be delivered um, by December 2024. Right. Gosh. So that's when we should see. Well, these. who you know who still be in power then? Oh, what that guy? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps he'll change the constitution so he can. It might be you by terms. then, Nick. Might yeah. be. Uh, I don't think so. I think there's one not eligible. problem. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not eligible. It would seem. Yeah. Uh, actually, to be fair, we'd all want um, Al to be president of the US, wouldn't we? Right. Okay. Well, I think I prefer something. I think yeah. he preferred to be prime minister personally. I think that that might be be more suitable. Uh, I think he'd make a great dictator. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. Anyway. <laughs> um, Yes, he's not commenting. Has he? Has he dropped off the call? He's gone off mute. Well, oh no, there he is. Yeah. Oh, there he yeah, is. I am here. Um, <laughs> I've just had one of those uh, technological disaster moments because oh. earlier on in the show, uh, whilst I was joined by Josh, my son, I popped one of my ear pods into one of his ears so he could listen to what was going on. So just a few moments ago, he sidled up to me. Uh, and basically tapped on the earpod to say, "Can I share one?" Thereby disconnecting the call. <laughs> ah, yes, of course, yes. And the joys I'm of like, AirPods. Yeah. yeah, and now I've rejoined the chat, and my phone seems to have decided that I'm driving. So, okay, it's a safe driving mode. Your video is stopped. <laughs> Please let us know when you finish talking. Ah, okay. ah, what what model of phone is this? Oh, anyway, moving on. There's, there's it's is irrelevant. It? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Better than yours. That's yeah. all we need to know. At least yeah. my phone's not spying on. Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, the main man Mike says by the time this <laughs> that this has been delivered, it will be a different president, and the oh. colour won't be changed. Actually, um, Tanya W says a quite a good point. Actually, Prime Minister like Baldrick. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to do with that information. I'd love to see Baldrick as Prime yeah. Minister. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, definitely the. Definitely I've got a future. plan. Yeah. Do not despair, sir, for I have a cunning plan. Yes, is it a cunning one? Cunning as a fox studying cunning at the University of Oxford. (laughs) Yes, no. Uh, Not that I've watched a lot of Blackadder's Ghosts Forth or anything like that. Anyway, guys, we're out of time. We need to wrap up, I'm afraid. Yes, we do. Otherwise your food will be cold. Well, quite, absolutely, and that can't happen. We're going to say a big (laughs) thanks to everyone who's joined us on the show tonight. Big thanks to all the chat members, all the YouTube viewers, and not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast each week so week ahead quickly what's up going on with you this week Matt you're coaching somewhere yeah uh, there's a quiet week this week so not a lot going on I suppose it's um, yeah just sort of like school school contracts and swimming contracts that's all I've got this week Very exciting for the time being yes for the, for hopefully the being, yeah. yes <laughs> hopefully get one more week out of it before we're all in lockdown Captain yeah. uh, Captain Nick obviously your diary had to be brought here on a low loader because it's so full it was of very full yes absolutely. it was yeah I was going off to uh, Hamburg next week to uh, lecture mm. the Royal Aeronautical Society and they They've uh, um, said that they're yeah. no longer holding those meetings for the moment. So uh, I've. So are you playing with your balls this week? Oh, bowls, I mean. Nope. The season has yet to <laughs> just start. The, the ball bowling playing season. Oh, I've got a headache. Uh, uh, Captain <laughs> Al, dare I ask <laughs> what you're doing this week, or does it involve a curry? Yeah, probably a curry. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I may well have a curry. Um, my, my week is uh, is uh, fairly fluid at the moment, so uh, 
I'll let you know next week what I did this week. Okay, good. Oh, brilliant. Uh, excellent. <laughs> oh, Carlos, by the way, about... there's, an, there's an APG tomorrow at 1 o'clock in the afternoon UK time or 9 a.m. in the morning US time. Yes, because they need all the help they can get, obviously. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually off this one. I have a week off. You I'm have a on, week I off? Am Who authorised that? I'm now officially on holiday. Wow. So I've got okay. next week off. So I'm going to be um, doing lots of family-orientated stuff, Lovely. catching up with okay. various people. Come um, on, you can be trendy. You can instead of calling it holiday, just say you're self-isolating. I'm self-isolating this week. Um, I'm going to be eating. <laughs> Go lots snowflake of junk food. on me. Go yeah. millennial. Uh, our producer is saying that, given the fact that that he says he's going to tell us next week what's happening, does that mean Al has just confirmed for next week? Oh well, good. Oh, Al's going to join Excellent. us next week. Lovely. Brilliant. We'll see you next Thanks, week. Al. Fantastic. Social <laughs> media links. Don't forget to catch up with us on the PTUK website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. Also, don't forget if you want to have your picture on the green screen behind us here in the studio don't forget you can send your picture to us via our whatsapp number which is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six you can send us your picture there or you can email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and uh, send us some audio feedback because we love your audio feedback so if you're holed up in a room somewhere because you can't get out because you're self-isolating for <laughs> three years right, yes. then send us okay. some audio yes. feedback uh, if, you, if you've been living under a stone then obviously you need to take yourself to the airline pilot guy uh is it airline pilot guy.com is it, it the, is the yep, web, official correct. website yeah absolutely uh as i say uh carlos mentioned patreon uh take yourself to patreon spell it for me please because i'm rubbish p-a-t-r-e-o-n very good excellent you can become a patron donate to the show and we use uh your very kind donations to basically keep the show on the air and don't forget, if you do your shopping via Amazon, like we all do, and I know I definitely do, and Gemma has done on many occasions this week, <laughs> uh, you can take yourselves over to our website and click on the Amazon link and yep. uh, do your shopping in there. It doesn't cost you a penny, but it does give us a little referral fee. It and uh, helps You to, uh, find out what we're shopping if we use your I link. do, and yeah. Nick, I cannot believe that you brought that last week. Yeah, I'm not going to buy any more using your link, because right, it's okay. just too embarrassing. <laughs> Honestly, how did you fit that in your car? It doesn't uh, tell us who... Well, it's how I fit it in my trousers. Right, yeah. okay. Anyway, <laughs> and on that bombshell, it is time to end. Al, thank Take, you very much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, Al. <laughs> You're uh, a legend. You're more than welcome. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Thanks very much for the invite. And I'll let Josh say goodbye as well. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Josh. So from all of us here in the PTUK studios, from Captain Al, and have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy your Sunday roasts. And goodbye. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.